I'd like to be smoking a motherfucking stogie if you ain't got one. Welcome to episode 78 of the Superhouse Podcast. This is Andrew again and Maddie as well. <laughs> and we have we have another guest interview here today. His name is Brian A. Jones. He usually just goes by Brian Jones, but if you want to look him up on IMDb, it's Brian A. Jones. A lot of Brian Jones out there, so yeah. I guess that's how you differentiate. What's the A stand yeah. for, by the way? Anthony. Anthony? Okay. Yeah. Cool. And um, let's just get right into it. First of all, thanks for coming. Of course. Thank you. And let's just start from the beginning. We already said your name, so uh, where are you from? I originally grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. Okay. And um, while in college there, it's where I met my wife. And then we worked in Ohio for a little while. Lived in Florida for about three years working at Bush Gardens. I was a theater technician for years doing lighting and sound and all that. But I'd always kind of did what I do now. And uh, in 2000, we moved out here from Florida. Nice. And what do you do now? Now I'm a, a special effects makeup artist. I am the department head of Fractured Effects. I oversee the foam latex and uh, silicone department, basically. So my job entails me producing all the creature suits that we do, uh, doing all the prosthetic makeups that we do for various shows that we work on in silicone and in foam and the other uh, materials, skins for mechanical creatures that we make or bodies or whatever your main thing is foam though um well yeah it was for a while but i've actually really kind of moved into doing the silicone prosthetic work quite a bit over the last few years and that's kind of become more of my i guess wheelhouse of sorts how did you get into these two things um it was just kind of one of those things that when i came out here and i started doing this work you know i kind of did a little bit of everything and i still do but it was just I ended up in these departments and had kind of a knack for it. And I picked it up really fast and I got good at it and good enough that people, you know, kept hiring me to do it, you know, that they liked the work that I did. So it just kind of became a main thing for me. You know, I, like I said, I've done other things in the industry at different shops over the years, but I always will end up in, you know, the silicone departments or the foam departments doing this work just because I've done so much of it and everybody kind of knows my work from that as well. What, what movies did you, did you love growing up? Oh, um, <laughs> I mean, I was a kid, you know, I saw Star Wars in the theater when it came out when I was a little kid, you know, okay. and that one really kind of inspired me quite a bit because just all of the creatures and things, I was just fascinated by that. And I thought it was kind of amazing that people made this stuff and right. I wanted to learn how to do all that. So it's like that. And then on the horror end of things, as a kid, I saw uh, Night of the Living Dead uh -huh. on the horror host show that we had in Indianapolis called Sammy Terry when I was a kid growing up, you know. Me and a buddy of mine, we were in like, you know, the fourth grade or whatever, and we're <laughs> spending, I'm spending the night at his house, and we're staying up late, and we're watching it down the basement of his house, and it's scaring the hell out of us, but I loved every second of it, and I'm like, <laughs> this is so cool, like, you know, I need, to, I need to know how to do all this crazy stuff, because it just looks so awesome and so much fun. Did you grow up, I mean, did somebody in your neighborhood have like a eight millimeter or something, you made some videos that way or um, not really I mean a lot of a lot of what I ended up doing was just kind of you know practicing on myself and my friends and trying to kind of recreate gore and stuff like that because you know as a kid you're like oh the blood and the guts that's so awesome you know you want to you want to try to do all of that because that was a big inspiration you know, I mean as, as a teenager you know I was you know VHS era 
So, you know, I'm watching all these insane movies, you know, and, and, and looking up to guys like Rob Bottin and Rick Baker and Tom Savini and all these guys and wanting to learn how they do what they do, you know, to try. So I was constantly just recreating all that. And as I got older, you know, we did get a VHS camera and stuff like that. So we'd play around with it and try to make just little weird short films where we'd be like, you know, a vampire or a zombie or some crazy thing. And, you know, just film kind of weird, scary scenes of like, you know, somebody getting attacked and chopped up or whatever and just trying to kind of figure out how to do all this as a kid, you know, and trying to get every hand, every book I can get my hands on or, or, or video or whatever to kind of figure out how all this is done, you know, and, you know, Savini had these books, the Grand Illusion books that were a big influence to myself and a lot of guys, you know, that are my age and my, uh, my age bracket that were doing this stuff. Cause it was a very much a, this is how I did this gag and this is how I did okay. this gag. So it was kind of a good tutorial of sorts. So these were books that we always kind of went to that I went to, to kind of try to figure out how to do molds and how to make appliances and, you know, make blood and all of that. So when you went to the theater as a kid, it, it was mainly, you were, you were most looking forward to the practical effects in the film. Oh yeah. I loved it. I just, I was like any movie that had like any kind of crazy creatures or gore or horror or, you know, whatever going on. That's the stuff I wanted to go see because I wanted to see all that because I was just so fascinated by it. I wanted to see this stuff come to life. You know, it's like, I knew what it was at that point as a teenager and all that, but I just wanted to just go and just take it all in, you know, because it was just so amazing to me. And I was like, you know, this is something that I gotta, I gotta figure out how to do this. <laughs> nice. Awesome. So you, you said you like creatures a lot. Is there, is there a particular creature in, uh, is there in, in particular? That you yeah. Use? I think one of my all time favorites is pumpkin head. Okay. Um, yes. that, yeah, that, that movie was so amazing. And, and I, you know, I got to work on the two of the, uh, crappy sequels that were done a few years back, pumpkin head three and four. And I'm, I'm my, my chest is actually turns into pumpkin head at one point. They used my, my chest for oh, one of the, shit one of the gags in it, but you know, it was just that, I thought that was such an awesome creature. Cause it was just so creepy and crazy looking. And, you know, I mean the guy on the stilts with these big arm extensions and this crazy head. And that was like, you know, Stan Winston, you know, did all of that. And it was, a um, I think Alec Gillis or was it Tom Woodruff? I can't remember which one of one of them. I think it was Tom. It was in this, one of those guys was in the suit. Um, I'm blanking on that right now, but you know, and they, they do ADI now they have their own company, but you know, it's just, it was awesome seeing that creature, you know, and like years later, you know, as an adult now doing this and I got to work at Stan's, you know, when it was still Stan Winston and he nice. was still around and, you know, going and, and, and handling those original molds. It was just so cool. Like this was pumpkin. Ed. This was the original molds that made that awesome suit that I just love so much. Nice. <laughs> Maddie's actually a huge like creature guy. He's the resident super house creature. Uh, <laughs> expert Pumpkinhead is also one of my favorite creatures yeah I yeah seeing that movie for the first time and just being like what is that how to like <laughs> just amazed by it <laughs> oh yeah 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 it was just amazing you know and like unfortunately you know the follow-up sequels weren't that great but but it was still cool you know i mean like i said even though the ones i worked on were awful i mean they're uh they're rough but okay. it was still cool to get to make a pumpkin head though you know to be able to kind of be a part of that whole I guess, you know, series of films, you know, even though it wasn't as cool as the original. <laughs> Could you tell when you were working on it that it wasn't going to be as good or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, you know, uh, Lance Henriksen actually came into the studio at one point and I was talking to him a little bit about it. And, you know, it was just kind of for him, it was just, you know, it, it was a paycheck, I think, ultimately, okay. you know. But, you know, they were shooting in, um, 
was it Bulgaria or some crazy place? And it was yeah. just like these crazy Russian guys that were backing the film and they were talking about wanting to get like Paris Hilton in it or something weird. <laughs> and it was just like, this, you know, I mean, Doug Bradley was in it, which was really cool. You know I mean? You know I mean? That guy's pinhead, you know I mean? It was kind of right. awesome to be able to work on something that he was a part of, but you just, they're never going to be as good, you know? And, and the fact that they shot them back to back, you know, like literally like over like a month or two over there and using the same sets and all that. I was like, this is just, such low budge just not gonna be good <laughs> but you know that's okay you know that's the way it goes that's how these you know some of these films are unfortunately but you know it's still cool to be able to be a part of it even to a degree you know like i gotta make a pumpkin head and that's kind of awesome even even i mean any any genre or any series rather they're by the time you get to three or four it's usually bad yeah they rarely stay good it just kind of yeah. gets rough yeah, it tends to because they just they you know they're not putting the money in it, they're not putting the script time in it, they're not putting production quality into it, you know. So, except for um, one could make an argument that Jason Part Four. Well, yeah, that 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 could be made that argument. That one actually wasn't too bad. That was a pretty good one. It's amazing how much staying power that series has had. How much? Uh, yeah, longevity. And I think that's ultimately because of just you know the the body count and the violence and the gore and that's <laughs> yeah. just seeing Jason running around chopping up people. They right. don't care about the story. The story doesn't matter. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the boobs and the violence. That's what it's all about. I forget who was, who said it, but there's a, that documentary going to pieces. Yes. And have you seen it? Yes, I have. There's that, that one guy, maybe it was Savini or some, I forget who it was, but they said, look, man, we're not trying to make anything deep or anything. We're just trying to make a, yeah. a slasher flick. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and that kind of sums it up. It. No, not really. <laughs> so backing up for a second, actually backing up a lot, yep. uh, what did your parents do for a living? My dad is a police officer, retired now. He was on Indianapolis Police Department for a little over 40 years. Oh, he, he retired as a detective sergeant. Um, and my mother was a, um, city employee. She worked for the parks department, which is where I kind of got my first foray into doing makeup effects because, um, at the time when she first started out, she was at a place called Garfield park and they did a haunted house called, uh, Phantom fun house and, uh, or Phantom fun, something like that. Yeah. And I mean, I was a kid and, and I, my mom brought me in. She knew I wanted to do this. So. I got to help do the gags and work on those. She effects knew you wanted to do this at what age? Really young. I mean, I was, you know, I mean, I was, I wasn't even a teenager and I was already oh, messing around with this stuff, trying to do things on my own and, you know, getting whatever I little makeup things I could get, you know, from theatrical shops or whatever, and, and trying to kind of learn how to do that stuff. I've always just been fascinated by this, by special effects and all of that. You know, I was that kid drawing monsters and doing all that when I was in school and everything, you know, and it's just kind of was that thing that was there with me always, you know, I mean, they wanted me to kind of, well, you're going to go to college. So maybe we look at, you know, yeah. having some other kind of education as well, but <laughs> backup, you know, I still went for it. You know, I still did, you know, theater production and I did a stage makeup class in college and all that. And it was always kind of there. Okay. So she always knew, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, you know, the background of my parents, you know, and then, and then my family, I mean, that was just kind of the, nobody really did any of this kind of stuff in my family for the most part, you know? Right. Um, but, um, my stepfather though, um, ended up actually working in theater and he, he was always really kind of 
awesome about me wanting to do all of this just because he worked in it. He was a stagehand with the local 30 stagehand union. And I started doing it at 18, you know, working concerts and conventions and all that. So they were always very supportive of me kind of being interested in all of this stuff. And I think they always kind of, my mom and him always really backed me on it and knew that, you know, I would make a career out of this and be successful at it and not just nice. come out here and fail, which, you know, can happen. You know I mean? There's a lot <laughs> yeah. of people that come out here to do this stuff that don't really go anywhere with it. You know, and yeah, I've, right? I've had a lot of really cool opportunities and done a lot of cool stuff. So. Awesome. This is really reaching here, but <clears throat> have at it. Your, your dad being a cop. Yes. Did you ever see like crime photos or anything like that? Um, gore I actually, I actually have, um, a collection of crime scene photos that my dad gave me once oh, I shit. got out here and started doing this so I could have his reference, you know, for okay. recreating injury simulation and, and things like that, you know? Okay. And, um, so like he was, he wasn't totally on board, I think in the beginning, but when he saw how serious I was about it, he kind of came around, you know I mean? I, I think that they always kind of thought that, I was going to go into like a medical field or something like oh. that, you know, and cause I had an interest in that too. And, you know, in medicine and everything. I mean, I did, you know, some study in that as a kid in school a little bit and in college a little bit. And, and, you know, I was a cadet firefighter for a while, you know, cause I mean, I kind of come from a family full of cops and firefighters. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, that that's kind of there, but, but I think that, you know, he he was all he ended up being very supportive of me and because he saw that this was going to be something that was going to really be viable and that that i should that i would be able to pursue and make a living doing and, and i have so nice so he was supportive in that manner he's like all right yeah i'll send you these he's like don't go you know just throwing these around you know i mean these are <laughs> yeah. these are crime scene photos real photos from you know things he'd investigated that you know were years and years old and the crimes had already been dealt with and right. people you know arrested for everything but yeah it's just kind of you know one of those <laughs> things that you can't just go hey look he, did, he, did, did he do like detective work? Yeah, yeah. He was a um, he was a uh, street cop, and then he worked his way up to becoming a detective. And he started out with like you know doing burglary and, and larceny stuff, and then he went into the sex crimes division, which was horrendous. Yeah, because that dealt with all forms of awful. And then he eventually moved into homicide, and he was a homicide detective up until he retired. When you were a kid, were you like, that's cool? Or... Oh, yeah. I mean, my dad's a cop. You know I mean? He's yeah. going out and he's chasing bad guys down and he's yeah. investigating these crimes and all this crazy stuff. Like, I remember as a kid, like in the second grade, him coming to like, you know, they would have those days where your parents come in or, or whoever, you know, come and talk about what they do. My dad came in, you know, he was still a patrolman at that oh, time. Nice. So he came in in his uniform and talked to the kids about being a police officer and all that. And I was like, it's so awesome. That's my dad. That's <laughs> <laughs> badass. You got a gun. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a great... As as a horror nerd, it's kind of awesome. I've got a uh, um, a great copy of this photo of him because he was on the SWAT team in Indianapolis. Like he was there when they very first started their first SWAT team oh, shit. back in the seventies. And um, the photo I have of him in the squad looks like the SWAT team from Dawn of the Dead. Oh shit! Because it's the seventies. They're in the dark blue jumpsuits with the caps and the uh -huh. shotguns and the M16s and all that. And it's just it's hilarious because it's totally like you know. It looks like they were, you know, bit characters or like, you know, day players or something on the set of Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> it's black and white and it's it's just pretty awesome. That's awesome. Um, would you say your dad was your most was the most influential in your life growing up, or was it somebody else? Um that's kind of hard to say because, you know, I mean my dad had a lot of influence on my life and just kind of 
being like being a man and being you know taking care of this and handling that and all that but my mom my mom was really very much more supportive of the creative elements in me because oh, okay. she was always doing kind of art stuff as a kid and she like helped me out like doing costumes and things as a kid like you know like you know for one year for halloween i wanted to be the devil and she made me this whole like devil costume and i still i still have the hood from the nice. thing that she made me she made me this little hood with little horns on it that i wore and helped me paint my red my face red and do like the little devil beard and all that so i could be you know and then like you know um some years later i wanted to be freddy krueger for halloween so she helped me do that like my dad actually helped me with that as well actually he helped me make my glove i made a freddy krueger glove out of like a plastic knives. plastic you know like this you know picnic knives okay that i spray painted silver and like beer cans that i cut up and i riveted it together to make like the metal element of the glove that's awesome and then uh, my mom ended up helping me do like latex and like cotton kind of stretch and stipple stuff all over my face so i could look all burned up like freddy for halloween were they ever worried at all no i don't know <laughs> i don't think so i mean yeah i mean they were like yeah he's a weird kid you know he but whatever blood and gore, <laughs> yeah yeah you know i mean i was i was that weird kid but they they, they seemed all right with it they never were like all right this isn't right you need to okay. do something else they were actually kind of pretty cool about it Okay. Because I mean, I mean, they took me to see, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and they took me to see all these kind of crazy movies. They weren't like totally kind of putting the kibosh on it. Like some parents would be like, no, 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 you know, that, that's too whatever. But, yeah. you know, it's like, I think that they understood that I understood that it was fake mm -hmm. and yeah. that, that it was just pure fantasy. And, and that's why they were kind of okay with it. Yeah. You know, I mean, some parents aren't that way. Some parents are like, no, that's horrible. And you can't have that. So my dad but, let us watch anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, didn't had no restrictions. Yeah, I mean, and then I was like, that was a big kind of formidable period in my life. You know, it's like um, I would go and spend the weekend with my dad, and uh, you know, he would take me and my stepbrother and like a couple of our buddies up to the video store and be like, get whatever you want. And he would just let us rent. We'd just rent all kinds of crazy shit. <laughs> just <Nice. laughs> get some pizzas and just sit there in my dad's house all night, just stuffing our face with pizza, watching all these just horrendous horror films. <laughs> It was pretty amazing, you yeah. know, and it's like that was like, you know, a big influence on what I do, you know, just that, that period of my life. Like my dad took me to see like some of these insane movies at the drive in when I was a kid, like uh, Humanoids from the Deep and Humongous was like a double feature we went and saw that always kind of stuck with me, you know, because one, they were just amazing horror films and all that. And I, and also because, you know, and, and Humanoids from the Deep was like, you know, the first time I ever saw boobs. <laughs> so, you know, it stuck with me. It kind of sticks with you. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Wow. But those are actually good movies as well, or they're just oh, important they're, to you personally? They're they're pretty horrible. Um, <laughs> but they're kind of awesome at the same time. Right. You know, it's 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 just it's it's that over the top schlock mm -hmm. and horror stuff, you know. I mean, like Humanoids from the Deep was Rob Bottin, that's the guy that did the thing. Okay. And Legend. Okay. You know, the you know, all that stuff. And, and and that was one of the things I loved about seeing that was because he did all the big kind of these big creatures, these big, like, you know, fish creatures that were attacking and assaulting all these people in the film, you know, so it was kind of cool to see all of that, you know. You ever seen War Gods, War Gods from the Deep? I have actually seen that. <laughs> that's another one that's a little rough. They have that at, the, at, at work, and, yeah, that one's a little rough. Yeah. Yeah, that one, there, there's a few of those out there, you know, but, you know. That's what's kind of awesome is you watch those horrible movies because they're pretty entertaining. Yeah, I mean, they made like kind of a full suit that was underwater. So, that was oh, yeah. interesting. It's funny the stuff that some of these really terrible movies did, you know, I mean, effects-wise, you know, it's just like some of the worst movies have some of the coolest effects in them, you know, and it's just because that's what the movie was about.
Right. You know, it wasn't like I said, it's like the all the Jason stuff. It's not about the story. It's about, you know, Jason murdering everybody. So, yeah, it's it's funny. You know, I watched a good bit of the Jason movies when I was a kid in a marathon. Right. And and saw the new ones as they came out. But the Jason video game came yes. out a few months ago, maybe a month, a month and a half ago. And I started rewatching them. And it really feels like when I was a kid, it was totally scary. It felt oh, like, sure. These are from hell, these movies. Oh, yeah. I shouldn't be watching these. I'm, I'm going to hell if I watch them. <laughs> but when I watch them now, it's like these were made for fun. People are supposed to just laugh and oh, have yeah. a good time watching them. I see, I see it in a totally different way. Oh, completely. Yeah. You know what I mean? As a kid, it's exactly what as you see them. Like, this is, this is horrendous. Oh, my God. This is a nightmare. What's happening? But now as an adult, you're like, this is ridiculous, but it's entertaining as right. I'll get out. You know, you just right. laugh at it and just get a big kick out of it you know right um so you would say pumpkin move pumpkin head is your favorite horror movie not my favorite horror movie he's my favorite creature okay. i'd say um you know one of you know so it it's 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 hard for me to ever really say i have a favorite horror film because i there's so many films i've watched you know as a kid growing up that i absolutely love i mean pumpkin head is an amazing film it's one of my favorites you know, um, the, the original Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, Nine Living Dead, those that original trilogy, those are some of my favorites. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of like Dario Argento's films, you know, the okay. Italian horror stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just like a big, like an Argento file, as, as a lot of people refer to themselves that are into those films. You know, and, and, and the Italian, you know, that, that period of time watching all this stuff on VHS, a lot of that stuff was Italian horror films. Mm hmm. And those had a huge influence on me too, because I mean, they were very much very gratuitous with the gore, you know, right. and, and all the gags and all that. And I just, I loved it. You know, as a kid, you're, you're a splatter hound. Yeah, you yeah, want to yeah. see the blood and guts, you know, <laughs> and, and the Italians always delivered. I mean, Lucio uh -huh. Fulci's films like zombie and uh -huh. the beyond and, you know, gates of hell and all these films are just, you know, full of just insane stuff. Right. That, you know, was just like awesome to watch. You know, I mean, some of my favorite gags, like, you know, uh, Cat of Nine Tails is, is a uh, Argento film. That's one of my favorite gags in it is, is this woman's, she's got a gun in her hand and she just, they, an axe comes to the window and chops her hand off holding the gun and she just sprays the wall with blood from her arm that got chopped off and it's a bright white wall. So that blood is just like vivid as all, oh, shit. you know, but it's just, it's, it's an insane gag and it's so over the top, but it's one of those things that just kind of mm -hmm. sticks with you when you're a kid and you see them like, that is so awesome. Didn't they cut some woman's boob off or something in one of them? Um, I think that's when I first heard about Argento, that was one of the first things I was told about him. Maybe I'm mixing that up in my memory. I can't recall that. That, would, that sounds like it'd be kind of an over-the-top. That sounds almost like something from Fulci because Fulci had a film called New York Ripper um, where there's this guy that quacks like a duck and <laughs> calls... Yeah, he, okay, you know what I'm talking about then. You know, when he, <laughs> he calls the cops quacking like a duck, t telling them what he's going to do. He's a serial killer. And, like, he cuts, like, the girl's, like, nipple off in that and just, like, kind of crazy stuff, you know. And, 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 you know, I mean, Fulci's the guy that did the, the underwater shark versus zombie scene. Oh, shit, sure. okay. And, and um, yeah, and uh, uh, and the beyond, or not the beyond, but in zombie, I'm sorry, okay. in zombie, you know, that's there's, there's a scene where a woman's, she's kind of scuba diving and there's a zombie underwater and it attacks her. <laughs> and 
she only gets away from it because a shark comes along and this guy is fighting this shark and he's got like a fake arm that the shark tears off of his body oh, and it's that's... just it's just insanity which i saw in a commercial a few years back for some thing i can't remember what it was but i was like are they really showing that in the commercial that's so bizarre oh, yeah. <laughs> what what do you think the i mean the argento and the italians did differently was it just they went that extra level or was there anything else as far as film filmmaking wise directing wise well you know there were a lot of those guys that had a very visual kind of uh approach to everything you know i mean and a lot of that comes from directors like uh mario bava you know mario bava was um, argento's i guess uh, mentor and several other guys in that period of time where, you know, he was a mentor to them and to Fulci and all these guys. And he had a very visual kind of approach to everything. He was a cinematographer and a special effects guy before he became a director. And he did, uh, he did his films in kind of a way that just were just stunning to look at. You know, I mean, everything, the lighting, the use of shadows and the use of color. And you really see that influence in Argeno's films, especially in films like uh, Suspiria which is just just rife with just all this unbelievable color palettes throughout the film and okay. this kind of these there was always there I don't know there was always this kind of like an art to what they did there was this these weird little kind of nuances that they did that was different that were just very much they were very italian you know okay. I, I i don't know any other way to put it than that you know there was this kind of they have a different look at it. i mean it, you know italy is you know kind of one of the 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 bedrocks of like, you know, the Renaissance and art and all that, you know, with Michelangelo and all these guys. So there, everything has a very artistic edge to it. Okay. And I think that that was a big part of it because it's just, I mean, some of these films just visually are just stunning to look at just the way they're shot, the cinematography. I mean, Sergio Leone, I mean, mm -hmm. he, you know, he was one of the best, you know, filmmakers out there that did some of the most famous like Westerns and other films, you know, I mean, he was the guy that did all the spaghetti western stuff with Clint Eastwood, you know, like Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and all that. And his films are just unbelievable to look at. They're just so epic, you know. And then I think that right. that's a big part of, you know, the Italians were just they 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 really kind of go for it, you know. When they do stuff, they don't hold back. And I think that, to a degree, a lot of American filmmakers tend to hold back, mm. and, you know, and just don't really go for it. And it's like to see what kind of crazy thing we can do, what kind of crazy shots we can pull off, what kind of wild lighting we can do, you know, really. Right you know, are, are, are sometimes afraid to be bold with stuff, you know, right. and, and then like the Italians and a lot of the foreign film, they're not, you know, I mean, it's just, there's a different sensibility to it, I think. Right. And that's why I, I loved a lot of that stuff. You know, I mean, the Italian stuff was always kind of my favorite, you know, just because they were just so visually just over the top and it was awesome. All right, cool. And, um, since we're on the topic, um, as for favorite movies anyway, um, you said you like star Wars. Yes. Is that, uh, your favorite sci-fi film. My favorite sci-fi film, you know, I, Empire Strikes Back is right up there. Uh -huh. um, Aliens and the original Alien are just amazing. You know, those are some of my favorites. That I just, I, I still just like, if they're on, I got to watch them, you know, just right. because the way they were done, they were just so, they were very bold, I think, to a degree with, with just not being afraid to like do things that maybe people weren't doing at that time in cinema. I mean, it's kind of weird to say that about like star Wars, you know, it's, it's, but they went a very dark way with that story, you know? And, right. and I think that that was kind of unexpected and that that's what I think makes that movie kind of gives it a little bit of a boldness to it, you know? Yeah. I have to say empire is probably my favorite as well. Oh yeah. I mean, I love that seeing that in the theater was just like, as a kid, it was just like, this is amazing. You know, <laughs> I was, I was of the age where the first time I saw it was in the theater as well with the nineties re-release. 
and I was right. I was blown away. I was yeah. Like, what the fuck? This is it's the strongest of the films, I think. You know, hands down. Yeah, it's it's a toss up between, well, not a toss up, but one is pretty close. Or yeah, four. Right? Yeah, and then like seeing like Alien. I mean, uh, Aliens is amazing because it was just so it was funny and it was crazy and it was entertaining as hell. But the scary element of Alien, the first one, the one Ridley, Ridley Scott originally directed, I saw that for the first time as a kid on HBO. Oh, nice. In a hotel in Washington, D.C. Oh, on wow. a family trip to Washington, D.C. as a kid. And it scared the hell out of me. But once again, it was like, this is awesome. This creature is so crazy. You know, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. Your dad watched that with you? Or uh, no, the babysitter. Because my dad and my mom, I believe, were, had gone to uh, – some dinner i think it was at the white house oh, and i think okay. there was something to do with like police officers or something i can't totally remember exactly what was going on there i was a kid you know i mean i was in elementary school at that time mm-hmm. you know i mean i you know and but um they had like a babysitter for us and uh, she came back to the hotel and stayed at the hotel with me and my brothers and and i remember we just we watched it on hbo and she let us watch it which was pretty kind of funny that she would actually do that that's awesome <laughs> Cool. Um, what's been your favorite thing you've worked on so far? Uh, I've uh, Team America was a lot of fun just because it was so ridiculous. You know, I mean, as everybody knows, I mean, everybody, it's always funny whenever I bring up to people that I meet, you know, oh, yeah, I worked on Team America. Like, oh my God, I love that movie, you know, and it's just, <laughs> and it was, it was a lot of fun, you know, making all those puppets because, God, we made so many of those things. It was crazy, but it was, it was really cool because I got to work with the Kyoto brothers on that, which was kind of awesome. And those are the guys that did like Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, yeah, man. And they did the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies oh, back shit. in the 80s and all that. So, you know, it was kind of cool to, to work with those guys. They're, they're really, they're really cool. They're pretty crazy, but they're, they're, they're really entertaining guys to work with. So that was one of my favorite shows. Um, I really enjoyed, you know, where we're at right now at Fractured Effects. I really enjoyed working on the Nick because that was just, that was really kind of interesting and challenging for the fact that, you know, we were doing all this ultra realistic, you know, Uh medical effects, you know, all these surgeries and all this stuff. And we got to make a lot of really interesting things. So that's been a good one. And then, you know, I mean, um, you know, over the years, you know, I've, I've worked on a, a few other cool things. You know, I mean, I worked on Doom. That was kind of fun because the making the big creature suits for Doom was a mm-hmm. lot of fun over at Stan Winston's. And and um, um, I'd say uh, Benjamin Buttons was kind of cool. I really liked working on that because that was just a lot of really interesting old age makeup stuff that was being done there. And I was helping make all these kind of crazy babies, you know, the, the old the old newborn baby, I guess yeah. is the best way to describe of Ben yeah. when he's born. That was kind of cool making that. And, you know, and it was really interesting because of the fact that, you know, I got to meet a lot of really amazing people on that show. You know, a lot of the actors that came through doing all the life casts and everybody. And it was, that was a really awesome experience. Did you get to uh, meet the creators of South Park when you worked on Team America? I met Trey briefly when I was over at Kyoto's. He came through and he kind of popped in and 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 was saying, kind of checking everything out. And I just, I just really briefly kind of was like, "Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you," and all that, you know, because he was with Charlie and and Stephen, and they were kind of going through looking at everything, you know, getting ready for the shoot. And so I didn't really get to interact with him a whole lot. Just it was a really brief kind of meeting. But he, he you know, he was he was really nice. He was very pleasant. Cool. You know, so it was kind of cool to meet them. It would have been fun to meet uh, Matt as well, but he was, I think back at the studio or whatever, doing whatever he needed to do. So South park shit. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I, uh, 
I think I caught Killer Clowns yeah. on HBO when I was a kid. Yeah. And I thought it was like one of the best fucking movies I'd ever seen. Well, that movie's <laughs> awesome. It's it's amazing. I love it. You know, it's like it's just so ridiculous. These clown aliens going around encasing people in cotton candy pods. It's just so ridiculous, but it's 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 done so well at the same time. You know, it's it's like Yeah. I don't know. Their execution is really good for Yeah, that was kind of awesome because those guys I think they were still in New York at the time that they did that and they did that all on their own. You know, I mean, that was kind of their own kind of gig. They didn't really have, if I can recall, I don't think they really had any big studio behind them or any big production house behind them or anything. It was all kind of because they were doing effects work and all that out in New York, trying to get going in the industry. And so they decided to do that film and, you know, Charlie and Charlie's one of the more, I guess, art guys of the three brothers, you know, he does, a lot of painting and sculpting and things like that. And he was doing stuff like that on team America. So, you know, and Steven and the others are more of the production end of things, you know, and business end of things. But I think that they were doing some of the artwork as well. So they were all three of them just kind of did that whole project together. And it was, yeah, it's a pretty, that's a pretty entertaining movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. Uh, let's see. Um, Did you choose this? Did you choose foam running, or did, were you were you kind of placed into it as time went along? Did you see? Did you see it at an effect shop and be anywhere you like? I this is. I know you said you want to do prosthetics as well, but yeah, let's talk about foam running at least for for the moment. Right. Well, you know, I mean, it was just kind of like I said, it was one of those things that I I. I kind of had a knack for it, you know, and I, I picked it up pretty quickly and got a good understanding of it kind of early. So it became a way for me to get into a lot of the shops, you know, I mean, I enjoy doing it. I like the methodical element of it. You know, it's very kind of, I'm a very methodical kind of guy, you know, I, I, a creature of habit. So when you're doing running foam latex, you have to be that way, you know, you have to keep track of all your measurements and the time on the mixers. And it's a very methodical process so you can get the best result, you know, and, and you keep track of all that by logging everything. Pardon me. And, um, I like that, you know, I, I've, I've always been that kind of mindset, you know, and, okay. it, and it, it's, and I think that's part of why it kind of came kind of easier to me than some of the other elements, you know, of, of the work, you know, I mean, I, I originally came out here because I wanted to do set work, you know, I really, okay. I really enjoy going on and doing actual application and, and, and all of that. And I, and I still, still do enjoy that. And I still try to do that whenever an opportunity arises for me to go to set to actually do application, because that's a, a, a type of thing that allows me to be a little more creative, you know, and have a little more of an artistic outlet, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's foam running is, is fairly mechanical. Uh -huh. Um, there is an art to it. Mm -hmm. You have to have a feel for it. There's a finesse to it. And I like that element of it, but you know, putting a prosthetic on someone and doing, you know, painting up the prosthetic and, and getting it to look right and create that whole thing. And then having it go on set in front of camera and the director would be really happy and the producer would be really happy. And that's kind of satisfying. It's like, right. you know, I created this thing and I did this thing that looks really awesome. And these guys love it. And that kind of, you know, it feels good. It feels good to, to do stuff like that, you know, and it, it makes it really fun. You know, when you do something that's really amazing and they, they love it, you know, it's kind of an awesome, it's like, Oh, that's awesome. You know, something I made is right. making people like happy and they're like, Whoa, that's so cool. You know? And then that's kind of, kind of a nice feeling, you know? So, and I just, I'd enjoy the, 
the the process of that too you know just the whole you know thing of going on and doing all that and transforming someone into something different you know is is, is i think just a lot of fun and just really kind of an interesting experience for me you know and that's why you know whenever i get the opportunity to go do that i'm I'm down to do it and i've moved away from like wanting to do gore effects and all of that you know i still don't mind doing them every once in a while it's just kind of fun but Mm -hmm. i've really kind of moved more towards like i want to do like full-on creative like makeups and characters and things like that because that's just that's really just enjoyable to bring those characters to life and, and, and make them happen you know cool could you so we said you're a foam runner you like applying prosthetics i think probably most people understand what applying prosthetics is right but so connecting with the last episode brent baker or somebody like him yes makes a mold yes and then what do you do with it can we explain that to the audience okay yeah so um what tends to happen is okay you have a sculpture that's done for an appliance whether let's say it's just it's a nose it's a it's a fake nose mm-hmm. it's going to be put on a guy because of the character that he is so what happens is a guy like brent or somebody comes to me and says okay this is the sculpture um we're going to set up a positive for you how do you want it set up i tell them the way i want the thing kind of made and then they, they'll do the mold for me and then my job then is to then produce that sculpture in foam latex or in silicone so that entails me setting the mold up and then you know i i do my foam latex runs which is you know i I have all my foam components and you know we run those and then we put them in that mold and we bake them and you have to bake them to kind of uh, vulcanize the rubber so to speak and it Mm -hmm. it goes from being you know liquid latex you know to being like a soft sponge which is really nice which then is the prosthetic that then gets glued on to the actor to give them that fake nose that they've got so my yeah, my whole job is ultimately just to to make sure that the mold is set up in a way that I'm going to get the best piece possible from it with the nicest edges. So when they glue it on, it blends into the skin flawlessly as best as possible, so that it doesn't appear that they've got something glued onto them. You know. Okay. And um, you know, running foam latex for those is you know basically like I said, is you've got you know your latex and you have all these other components and you have certain measurements you do to whip the foam up, you know, it goes from being like a liquid to being like a fluffy kind of cream almost Aww. that you put into these big mixers that we, we have. We have these big kind of 20 quart Hobarts that we use to do the big batches for suits down the little sunbeam mix masters like you have in your kitchen, uh-huh. you know, and we whip all those components together with the beaters and that makes the foam rise up to a volume. So we get a certain kind of softness with it. Mm-hmm. And that helps with movement and, and wrinkling and things like that. You know, you, you know, depending on what the application is going to be, you know, you, you, you base how soft you make that foam that you put into that mold and then you close that mold up and you bake it in an oven. And that kind of helps kind of cure the rubber and, and turn it into this soft, light, fluffy sponge material that they can then glue down onto the actor when they're on set. So it is rubber. It is rubber. It's okay. latex. Yeah, it's latex. Okay, got it's it. a it's a certain type of latex. There's you know different grades of latex. There's balloon rubber. There's the latex we use for foam latex, which is it has a certain um, um, uh, element to it that allows it to whip up with these other components that we mix into it. You know, there's a little bit of chemistry involved. You know, when you when you run foam latex, you, you know you have a foaming agent which helps it froth up when you're whipping it in that okay. mixer, and you have a curing agent which helps it when you bake it, it cures that foam and, and makes that foam, all the moisture 
bake out of it and it dry up and then become like that sponge. Okay. So you have to figure out your ratios for all of that. It's, there's a little bit, like I said, there's a little bit of chemistry involved, you know? Okay. And that's why you have to be very methodical when you do it. So you can get the same results, especially when you're running that thing over and over and over again. So you want to make sure it does the same thing every single time. So you try to kind of control the environment because heat and humidity really impacts that process quite a bit on how quickly it rises, how quickly it gels, because we add in a component called gelling that makes it kind of set up partially okay. where it's no longer liquidy, mm -hmm. but then the whole process is finished off with the baking element where it cures and, and becomes that sponge. Okay. And um, so, you know, you just, you have to figure out, you know, based on your environment, what you need to do to make that happen, you know, where you need to adjust. Do I need to add a more foaming agent, more curing agent, less gel, more gel. Do I cut my mixing time back or do I need to extend my mixing time to remove? Cause there's ammonia in there. So you want to get mm -hmm. the ammonia out and sometimes you want to leave a little more in depending on, how hot or how cool it is, or, you know, you want to take it out, things like that. So there's all these little elements that you have to kind of stay aware of as you're doing this process to make it because it, because foam latex is very, it's, it's kind of um, finicky. Mm -hmm. It can be, you know, and, and unless you have a nice steady environment to run in, that's why you don't like it work right now because it's so hot. We're coming in earlier. Right. So it's cooler because you want it to be cooler in there. You know, you normally want your room to be nice and cool with kind of about a low to medium humidity in there. So then you can have that consistent run over and over and over. You know, it's like, you know, I do this much, this much, this much of these components right. run for this amount of time. I know I'm going to get this end result every single time. Right. You know, and that's the goal, you know, so that especially like, you know, you know, on shows where I've had to do multiple suits, you know, you have to, you want everyone to come out because you don't want to waste a run because it's a lot of material. It's a lot of time, you know, the labor that's involved in all that and that's money, you know, so you got to really be aware of all of that. Right. Hang on a second. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Brent said that it feels like there's, we're good. Okay. <laughs> I thought there was a problem with the sound for a second. <laughs> Me too. No, we're good. No, the, um, the, Brent said that there that he feels like you're as busy as ever because there was like this this uh, you know yeah. the Star Wars prequels came out and things like that yeah around that time period yeah oh, he said even maybe in Jurassic Park when the yeah. first one came out he felt like that was going to be the end of it right but it's like there was a little slump but now it's back to yeah um, I I can totally agree with him on that you know I mean like I said I came out here in 2000 and um, there was a period where there was hardly any work. I mean, it was a ghost town almost, it seemed oh, like, really? you know, because there was this period, I think, that kind of started at the end of the 90s going into the early 2000s where CG really started kind of coming to the forefront. Right. And everybody and their brother in the industry thought that that was the way to go, that what we do, practical effects, makeup effects, creature effects, was a dying art and that we were all going to be out of jobs and that there wasn't going to be any work and everything was going to start going digital because at that time, everybody in the studios thought that that was the way to go. That if we want to have a successful movie, it has to be full of digital effects, right? You know, because that's the hot thing. And, and they didn't understand that digital effects are just a tool, right? They're, you know, just as much as makeup effects and creature effects and animatronic stuff and all that is a tool. 
you know, and they didn't quite understand that the melding of those two elements was really the best way to go. So it was that weird kind of growth period that we were trudging through trying to survive All right. in our field because they were still figuring out what the hell they were doing. And, and it's like in the last like 10 years or so, I'd say is when it started becoming more and more apparent that, Oh yeah. Digital is something that works best when it works with something that's physically there. And right. you started seeing all of these things happening where you would see augmentation digitally of a full physical makeup or something like that to make it, you know, look better, move better, be nicer. Right. And yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, it's crazy how busy things are now. I mean, it's, you know, trying to find people has been a rough time at the shop. Oh, right. You know, they're trying to hunt mold makers down and, and, and fabricators and all that. And everybody's working, which is amazing. I think it's fantastic. I love it. You know, I love that there's been this kind of weird resurgence into the physical effects. Right. Again, back in the film. And that's been really awesome for us because, you know, we've been doing all this crazy stuff. You know, I mean, we've worked on these past films, you know, where we were doing creatures you know for the film you know i mean you know stuff for conjuring over at fractured and right. the insidious films you know all of that we're doing monsters and it's like whoa right. you know and it's not a digital thing it's an actual guy in a makeup in a suit or whatever right. you know running around being the creature which is kind of awesome and i i love it because yeah it, it, there was that period where it was kind of like oh boy what's gonna happen here <laughs> you know, we're, yeah. we're gonna be we're gonna all be a bunch of jobless wonders soon and i right. think you know and it was a little scary you know and then during that time, there was like a weird strike that happened. And I ended up having to get a gig working at a theater as an assistant stage manager oh, because there was no work. And that was right before I did Team America. And then when Team oh. America happened, um, I started just working real regular again after that and, and had been steady, you know, since that point, you know, which was kind of nice. But um, there was a little law where I stepped out of the business for a short period. But then, you know, I just, I came back to it because it's like, I mean, this is what I was here to do. Right. It feels like, at least from my perspective, it, it feels like the pre the Star Wars prequels maybe took a lot of people's jobs away. Yeah. But then due to the backlash of that and then finally ramping up for Force Awakens, right. you could see they they knew the error of their ways. Yeah. With the internet, you know, fans have a voice for better or worse. Uh <clears throat> and you know, that's it seems like that's what people wanted. And that, oh, might, yeah. that might have trickled down from that into all the other franchises as well. I think so, because people were like, whoa, they really do want to see this stuff physically there. And I mean, even right. a lot of actors talk about how they would much rather have a creature there on set. Instead of looking at a fucking um, tennis ball, ball on a time. stick or some bullshit, you know, I mean, they want to, you know, it's like they want to, <laughs> you know, they want to, they want to actually see it. So because then they can yeah. really interact with it, you know, and, 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 you know, there's been multiple films over the years where, they purposely kept the creature away from the actors, didn't let them see oh, designs, yeah, didn't let them yeah. see all that. And the actors loved that because of the fact that when they see this thing for the first time, it really scares the shit out of them. Like right. they really get kind of scared right. by what they're seeing. So their reaction is more genuine, yeah, yeah, yeah. which makes for a better performance for them. And then, right. and they love that, you know, and then you got guys like JJ Abrams who is in my generation, you know, and, right. and, and he, you know, grew up watching all the movies I grew up and, the thing he loved about those films is that they actually did all of that stuff. Right. You know, and, and it wasn't just a bunch of digital work. So it's like, he loves the digital work too. 
and I have a great appreciation for it. I mean, there's some unbelievable digital stuff out there. I'm just blown away by some of the things that they do. I have friends that do digital effects in the industry. You know, I have friends that, you know, worked on some of these big Avenger films and the Star Wars stuff, doing digital stuff. And, and it's amazing the things they do. But like Abrams, you know, he loves the physical element of it. Mm-hmm. And that's, and he, and he knows that that's kind of the heart of, of those films. And it's like when you, if you're going to do a Star Wars movie, you know, you really need that stuff to be there. Right. You need it to really be not just a big green soundstage with blocks yeah. and boxes and curtains and crap everywhere, you know? Right. And and so that and and I think that he has had an impact on the industry in that regard. That a lot of people are like, yeah, we can do this physically. It is okay to do that, and have it really be there. And people are going to love it. It doesn't all have to be digital, you know. And, and that's kind of awesome. I think so. It was it's funny. It was funny watching. As I, I watch, I, I look at the movie news every day. Yeah. Online. Yeah. Comic book movie news or whatever, general movie news. I still do see, too. You can see the comments, <laughs> yeah. and like, do you all you always see these comments? Like, if that isn't a motherfucking guy in a motherfucking suit, I will lose my goddamn mind. You know? Yeah, like, right. Yeah, are insane. They yeah. really, really have a lot of passion for it. Being oh, they do. Yeah, they do. You know, and then and the thing I gotta say though, on the digital end of stuff, um, like the Planet of the Apes movies that are going on right now. You know, I mean the the. Brents are the same thing. The, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The motion capture suit, I think, was the thing that helped make digital a more viable tool because you have these guys in these mocap suits. They're on set running around. Right. So that helps with the digital's, you know, final completion of the work to look more realistic because a big problem that I think a lot of digital guys had is a lot of the stuff they create has no gravity. Uh-huh. So it doesn't feel like it's physically there. There's no like, like, yeah, it's the best way I can describe it. There's no gravity to it. It doesn't look like it's actually standing on the ground. Uh-huh. It always looks a little kind of like it's on a different plane than the rest of the image. Right. And that was a huge issue. And, and this, I think that technology has really helped. You know, I mean, I had a buddy that worked on um, Avatar. He was on that for literally seven days a week for like a year and a half. Oh my God. Doing digital stuff out at James Cameron's studio. Um, and you know, he, he, he best described it, you know, as, as, you know, one of the things he described as is really amazing, like game CG, some of the characters, like he, he wasn't super impressed with it, but the technology was at that weird point where it was starting to finally kind of make that crest to be something that made it really super viable and really useful and more believable. And and, and when you look at it, you know, and and when it's, when it gets to be that much CG, like in avatar, yeah, it kind of feels like (laughs) kind of a weird comparison, but it almost feels like it's Hugh framed Roger Rabbit in that it's like mostly animation yeah. within some real actors. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of weird. But you know, I mean, that that's that's Cameron for you though. <laughs> did a mostly good job. But, yeah, yeah, he did. You know, you know I mean, but he, you know, I think I think that on that film he really was just like so obsessed with this technology. I mean, cuz like that was where he was building the whole the whole camera where he could visual he could watch on a monitor what they're filming and see the actual character, not see right. the actor, you know, it's like, that's where I was saying, like, you know, they, they were finally kind of starting to get to that point. And like, I mean, he was very much an innovator that really, yeah. I think helped make things like planet of the apes possible. And, right. And all of that, you know, and the Lord of the Rings stuff, you know, every 3d movie we're seeing now. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You know, yeah. That's you know? insane. Yeah. But I, I love though 
ultimately, though, I love the fact that the work that I do has had this resurgence and, and people are just demanding it and wanting it, you know, right. and like you said, it's because of guys like, you know, JJ Abrams and Guillermo del Toro yeah. and all these other directors that love the stuff really being there. And, you know, I want to see that creature for real. I don't want to be it to be a, D, a CG thing. You know, I really want right. to have it there. You know, that's awesome to me. And I, I love it because I get a chance to make really cool stuff. And I also get a chance to stay employed. <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is kind of nice. Doing what I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what would you say to someone that's trying to get in this industry now? That's tough because, you know, one of the big issues I have is just you know, I, I studied at a makeup school. You know, I came out here and I took classes because there were things I didn't know. I didn't know straight makeup. I needed to learn more about special effects like mold making basics, things like that. So I took classes at a makeup school. I did that, which was good. But I think that, you know, the makeup schools are just so saturating the industry with people that it's making it really, really tough for anybody starting out in the business to get into the business. I, I think that it can make it really more difficult because now there's just so many people that are coming out of these schools wanting to get into this, and there's not that many jobs. I mean, it's mm -hmm. kind of a, just a finite amount of jobs. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like there's a lot of work, but there's not a lot of work. You know what I mean? It's it's because yeah. there's not like hundreds and hundreds of shops. Right. You know, with like tons and tons and tons and tons of work where we need thousands and thousands of people, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not at that point, you know, but, um, I would, I would say that, you know, if you really want to get into this industry, you know, I, I think that you need to, you need to be willing to do anything, right. um, in the shop, you know, you can't, you can't have this mindset that, oh, I'm a sculptor and I'm going to go in and I'm going to immediately right out the gate be doing art and sculpting <laughs> and all that. And I'm going to demand, you know, $40 an hour and yeah, all yeah, that, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of that, unfortunately, that happens yeah. with these new kids that are coming into the business. You know, it's like and, and they don't understand that that's not how it works. You know, yeah. the guys that are sculpting have been doing it for a while and they've earned that spot. Yeah, yeah They yeah. just weren't handed that spot because I was on face off or whatever, you know, right, and right, it's right, just right. like, <laughs> there are some people on that show though, that are very, very talented, you know, but, um, there, there is this weird kind of mindset that, you know, they're just going to automatically get like these high paying gigs being, you know, some lead artist on a show. And that's just not going to happen. So you got to be willing to make molds. Um, you got to be willing to work in the foam room. You got to be willing to, casting. you know, be casting up parts or mm -hmm. seaming, you know, silicone or foam suits or whatever, doing, you know, kind of the, the, the you know, the grub jobs of sorts, you know, where right. you're cleaning up and just kind of assisting and not really getting to do anything amazing at first, but it gets your foot in the door. Right. You know, and, and, and that's how it was for me. I was like, when I started out, you know, I was like, I knew that I wasn't going to immediately be doing this, that, or the other. I just wanted to get in. I was like, whatever you want me to work doing molds. Okay. Right. I can do that. I know how to tap glass. I know how to, you know, do a mold or whatever. And I, I'm willing to help and assist and do whatever I can. You know I mean? It's just like, that's, I think the biggest thing I can tell you is just be open to do whatever is right. available, you know? And even if it's being a runner, just to get your foot yeah. in the door, you know yeah, I mean? Yeah, you yeah. got to do it, you know? Right. You know, 
maybe you'll get lucky and you'll get a, a on a show where you can you know do more than just some kind of bottom of of you know the the totem pole kind of gig but that's not always going to be the case so you got to be flexible and expect to you know you know you're not going to make a bunch of money right out the gate you're not going to get some huge salary you know no, yeah you know it's 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 you got to earn it you know one of the things i heard was that and I, this might be true i think um nobody gets into the industry the same way no every single person has like a particular door they walk through i think so yeah and then they close it after that yeah pretty much yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but, but doors open new doors open all oh the time of course all the time yeah you know i mean it's like i i i got in i mean it's i think that this is something that probably there are quite a few people have done that are in the in the businesses i got in because i had friends that knew a shop was hiring and they connected me to that shop you know i mean when i was out here. I started out working in the uh, the lab for makeup designery. Um, I was kind of running their shop. I was, you know, making all the prosthetics for the school, and I was making all the eye jigs and shoulder stumps when they were actually doing mechanical heads okay. back back. You know, they don't do that anymore now. And I was doing that, and I had a friend that got a connection to a shop to work on Riddick, the the, the second. Um, movie that uh, Vin Diesel did based on that character from Pitch Black. Right. And uh, um, she's like, you know, they need mold makers, they need people. And right. I went over there and I met with Rush Schinkel, who was the owner of the shop, and he liked me and he brought me in and I was working and that's how I got in. You know, it's like it was just like I knew somebody that knew somebody. It was kind of one of those things. It's 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 it seems like it's always luck. It's not really luck, but it's yeah. it's you sticking it out for a long time. Yeah, yeah, you know. But it, the the when you finally do get it, it kind of feels like luck. Yeah, yeah. You know? it, oh, totally. You're like, oh my god, I can't believe it. I'm in the shop. I'm doing all this, and it was cool. You know, I mean, like I started out working doing molds over there. And then I got moved over to the casting department. I like, you know, like I said, you got to be willing to do whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. And that's how I was. I'm, I, you know, and that was something that I was always taught, like by my stepdad. You know, when I was started doing stagehand work, he's like, you know, show up, ready to work, do your job, whatever they need you to do, you do it. Right. You know, you just, you just do it. And and that's how I always was about it. I was like, you want me to do molds? Cool, I'll do molds. You want me to help do a live cast? Cool, I'll do it. You know, I got to help do. You right. know, the first celebrity I did a live cast on was over there. I, I did a live cast on Carl Urban. Oh, nice. You know, what, for his, for, for, what? for, for Riddick, for his necromonger oh, suit, okay. you know, and that was really awesome. Cause he was a, he was a really cool guy. He was a super nice guy. That's awesome. And that was an awesome experience. You know, it's like, I was really, really new in the industry and I was able to do something cool like that right out the gate because I was just, you know, I try to be friendly with everybody and get along with everybody. And I, you know, made it known that I'm whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. And I'm still that way. I'm like, whatever you need, I'll do it. Yeah, you know, right. that's just kind of yeah. how my work ethic is. You know, you need me to do this cool. I'll do it. Let's do it. Right. You know, and I ended up getting moved over into the casting department where I was making up all the parts for the armor, you know, and we were casting up, you know, tons and tons and tons of armor suits for months on end in the, in the sweltering heat in this little garage, <laughs> you know, um, and that was, that was really awesome. You know, that was a cool first experience for me, you know, right. and I wasn't making much money, but you know, it was, it was, it was a way to get my foot in the door and I met a lot of people and I made a lot of friends and that just snowballed into me getting other gigs because we're like, Oh, Hey, you know, this guy, Brian, he's a cool right. guy and he's a good worker and he's good at what he does. Give him a call, you know? And, and I started getting gigs. It's funny because especially from the outside, you always hear about actors and directors and stuff that have big egos or whatever. And yeah, those people yeah. certainly exist. Producers. Oh, of course. Certainly. But kind of feels like, unless you're like 0.0001% of that, that is those people. Right. 
if you have an <clears throat> ego, you are not going to last. No, at all. No, 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 no. You know, I, I, you know, I mean, well, it's weird. Uh, <laughs> I have a joke that I, I like to, you know, say with some of my buddies is like, you know, the entertainment industry is one of the few industries where people fail up. <laughs> And, and there are a lot of people in this business that, you know, that, that aren't that great at what they do, but for some reason, man, they just keep getting gigs and they keep moving up the the ladder and it's just, it's, it's mind boggling to me. But at the same time, there are a lot of people that aren't around anymore because they were assholes, you know? And, and, you know, it's like the reality of it is, is most shops, if you're just decent at your job, maybe you're not super amazing, but you're cool and you get along great with everybody, you're going to keep working. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. could be super amazing at your job, but if you're a complete asshole, yeah. nobody's going to want to deal with you. Right, so they're right, not going right. to hire you. And I know of many people that kind of got blacklisted, so to speak, <laughs> yeah. from the industry and yeah. had a really hard time finding work for a yeah. long time because they were assholes yeah. and nobody wanted yeah, to deal yeah, with yeah. their crap, you know? And, 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 and so they had to kind of humble themselves to kind of get back in the good graces with everybody right. again. And I know some of those people are working again, which, you know, that's cool. You know I mean? I, I hate when, you know, for people to be out of jobs. I mean, that sucks, you know I mean? Yeah. I know how hard that is, but at the same time, you know, don't be a dick. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, we're all, we're all on the same team. We're all trying to do the same thing. We're, we're you know, we're, we're making monsters for a living, you know, yeah. and it's like, we're doing something amazing that not a lot of people get to do. And it's a very small community. And if you're an asshole, it's going to get around, Yeah, you man, know, people talk, you know, that this, this industry is just full of, of, uh, of, uh, of hens just chatting away, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> about what's going on and who's doing what, you know? So you got to be careful about that, you know, and, and you got to be cool and get along with everybody or you're going to make right. trouble for yourself. Right. And that's another piece of advice I can give you. Anybody that's hearing this that wants to get into the business, be cool with people. Don't be a jerk. Don't have a big ego, you know, just yeah. we're doing something fun. Just have fun and be cool and enjoy it. Right. Yeah. You, it's just, it's one thing I noticed coming from Georgia, you know, yep. and now it's like a the hub of movie making. Oh, when I know. I was growing up, it wasn't like that. And, the, you know, it's one of the things people talk about. It's like, oh, people in Hollywood got big egos. But when you come, when you actually come out here, it's like, that's not really how people are, man. No, no. Not at all. Most no. people, they're all, of course, like, you, like we both know people like that. Yeah. But <clears throat> for the most part, it's really not the case. No, you know, I think, I think I've, I've met so many amazing people out here, you know, and, and I've had a chance to work with some really, really talented people that have done a lot of really cool stuff, you know, that have worked on a lot of amazing Brent Baker, who was on the last right. episode. I mean, that guy's worked on some really cool films, you know, films I grew up like, Oh my God, I love this movie. you know, And then, <laughs> and then that's kind of awesome that he's had that experience and been able to do that, you know? And it's like, you know, and I've worked with a lot of people that are just really, easy going and just really amazing people in this industry. And that, and that's kind of been kind of fantastic, you know, because, you know, I mean, I know how tough it is and I know that there are people in the business that have egos that they don't like other people getting jobs. They're <laughs> yeah. threatened by that because yeah, they yeah, think yeah. that they're going to get undercut and they're going to get booted out of a gig because somebody else is coming along. And it's like, right. you know, if you have that fear, in you, I think that it's coming from a place where you are probably having kind of a weird ego about yourself. Right. And if you get booted out of a job, it's not because of somebody else; it's because of how you're behaving. Right. And people don't want to put up with that. So, but I high have high school with money. They say Hollywood right. is high school with money. 
it is high school with money. <laughs> very much so. Because <laughs> yeah, it's very clicky. There, yeah. there is there is quite a bit that, of that. that. I mean, the, honestly, from where I'm standing, I haven't seen a whole lot of that. But I, I, from what I can tell, uh, I, I could see that that exists. Yeah. I haven't been to like Academy Awards and seen like producers get all clicky, but I'm sure that happens. Oh yeah, 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 it does. But you know, that's being said, you know, I mean, I've I've worked on a lot of movies where I've been on set, you know, and I've experienced some really awesome people, you know, and and even the producers are really cool. Actually, yeah, um, I know there's a lot of opinions about Face Off, but right. There's no bullshit. The producers of Face, I was a PA on that show. Okay. And they were fucking nice as shit, man. That's they good. Were, they were nicer than the fucking like, well, let's just say some of the other people on set. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I, I, I got to work on some st stuff. I When I was working um, at a shop called, uh, um, called uh, Creative Character Engineering, uh, Creative Character Engineering. Sorry, Andy. Andy Clement's <laughs> shop. Um, uh -huh. And we did a show called, what was it called? The Negotiator. And uh, I had to go to set for that. And it was about these FBI negotiators. And we had made a body of a woman that had died of cancer. And her son was keeping her body in the house. And he kind of got in this weird, barricaded himself in this house with a gun thing. And okay. they were negotiating with him for whatever. And uh, the star of that show... I can't remember the gentleman's name right now, but he was been on a bunch of stuff. He actually came up to me and was like, Hey, are you here with the body? And I was like, yeah, he's like, that thing looks fantastic. He's like, Oh, thank you so much. He's like, you guys really did an awesome job. I mean, he was super, super nice and really down to earth and kind of, you know, cool. So, I mean, there are those people that are like that, even at that level, you right. know, which is kind of a nice right. experience, you know? And yeah, it's, it's not a bunch of a-holes running around. Big yeah. goes out here like yeah. everybody thinks it is. <laughs> There are those guys. There yeah. are those guys for sure. But there are a yeah. lot of really, really amazing people. You know, right. I mean, it's like you know, I mean, like I did. Um, I had to go to set to do a live cast on a guy uh, for uh, uh, what was what's that show? Bones. Uh huh. We were making a prosthetic at a shop I was working at where the guy has um, webbed fingers. Okay. So I had to do a live cast of his fingers so we can make these little foam appliances to put on his fingers so he's got the webbing. And David Boreanaz, you know, I'm, I'm, I got there a little early, you know, so I could kind of get set up in the trailer. They were putting me in to do it. And it was out the Sony um, lot. And uh, he, uh, uh, they were like, oh, if you want something to eat, you know, go over to craft services, you know, grab yourself something to drink, get a snack or whatever, you know, it's going to be a little bit before the guy's available. And it's like, all right, cool. You know, so I go over there and David Boreanaz walks up. And he's one of the executive producers on the show too. And he came over and was just chatting with me. He was super nice, really, really friendly guy. He's like, you know, I know part of it's like, oh, who's this new person that's on set? I want to go check him out. But he was really, really cool about it. And he was really pleasant and really friendly. He's like, oh, that's awesome. You're doing, you're doing the thing. Okay, cool. You know, and just chat with him. He's like, all right, well, you know, you have a good day. I got to get back to stuff. And, you know, awesome. it, it, I've had some cool experiences like that with right. a lot of these people. So, yeah, you're, you're definitely right about that. Because, I mean, like you, I'm, I'm from the Midwest. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. you come out to L.A., I'm a little kind of – I got a little trepidation to me, yes. you know, I'm like, all right, what am I about to walk into? You yes. know, what's real that I heard and what's not. real? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so it's, yeah. it's, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So that <laughs> yeah. was kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, kind of a hard pivot. Yeah. It's all right. You're a, uh, you're a wife. What does she do? My wife, um, 
as she said to me today when I told her I was coming to do this, I do a job that no one's going to want to interview me for. <laughs> um, she she actually works. She's the head of the customer service department for an apparel company. Okay. Um, she actually has a background in costuming. Oh shit. And uh, fashion merchandising, and um, you know we met in college, and you know we actually worked through amusement parks together. Uh, she was in the costume department. I was in the in the the tech department for the shows. Um, so it's like our, our kind of our industries kind of were hand in hand for a little while, but now she works in, in apparel as you know, the head of the customer service department. So she, she deals with like the warehouses and, and, and the clients that call, you know, call in about, you know, product for their purchases or their stores or their whatever, you know, and, and handles all that element. So she's, she doesn't say it's very glamorous, but you know, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I think that she's amazing at what she does and, and she's really, really good at it. And, you know, they, they, I think understand how good she is at it and that she's an asset to what she does. And, um, you know, uh, you know, she's the one with the real job in okay. a relationship. That's yeah. what I like to say. You know, I think that's important <laughs> doing what I do. You know, you kind of need to have somebody in the relationship that has a real job. Yeah. Especially, you know, when it comes to the fact that, you know, things like with what I do, there's no, uh, benefits or anything, you know, right. and, and, you know, cause I mean, to a degree, we're all kind of considered freelance artists. Yeah, man. Self-employed, self-employed to yeah. agree. You know, even though I, I'm, I'm on payroll and oh shit, okay, all that at the at the company. You know, I, I get a paycheck and I do it. You know, all that. I'm not 1099 or anything like that, like a lot of freelance artists are. But I'm still, you know, right. You know, there's no no guarantees in life. You know, right. so it's like you know, having somebody that has that normal job, you know, is, is good because there's that stability that's kind of there for the lean times. You know, and then we've had lean times over the years. Right. You know where I went for long periods without any work. You know that, that gets a little little sketchy, right? And your wife, she she's into horror as well, horror sci-fi fantasy. Uh, not so much, not as much as I am. Like she enjoys some of the stuff, but not to the, like I do the level that I do. <laughs> okay. You know, she's I'm, not like blood. No, 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 <laughs> no. She's not, <laughs> not at all. You know, I, I'm, I'm the crazy one when it comes to that stuff, but she's, okay. you know, she enjoys it. You know, she goes and sees the crazy movies with me from time to time. And she does have her favorites in the movies that she does like, you know, I mean, that was kind of, you know, something that was, a, I guess, a connection of sorts that we had when we first started dating years ago and all that. But, you know, I mean, uh, um, she has an appreciation for what it is and an appreciation okay. for the art okay. and all that, especially being around me for, you know, 20 some odd years now. Right. So, okay. you know, she kind of, understands the creativity that's involved and really can kind of like, that's really, that looks amazing. Like it's funny because over the years, you know, she hears me talking about the stuff. So she learns it and she understands right. what all of this stuff is now. So like I can talk about things where she'll be like, Oh wow. She'll look at something like that's a really bad prosthetic on that guy, you know, and <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, she points it out now, which is really kind of funny to that's me. Awesome. But, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, you know, she, she, like I said, she appreciates it. She's not as crazy about it as I am, but, Okay. Then that's okay. You know, you kind of need that like yin yang kind of thing, I think, right. in a relationship. Yeah. So it works yeah. good. That's true. Yep. Uh, let's see here. Um, only have a few more questions, I think. Okay. Uh, I'm going to, I've asked a few of the same questions as Brent, but this is a good one. We actually already covered this maybe slightly, but you don't seem to have. You haven't been jaded over the years. You seem to still have that kind of uh, childhood fascination. Yeah. With all the stuff that you're doing. Yeah. I try not to get jaded about this because man, 
there are some people in this business that are so insanely jaded. Yeah. It's like, why are you even doing this anymore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what the hell, man? Yeah. You're just like, you're this crabby dude at work and you, yeah. you're, oh, that sucks. And this is terrible. And that's a bunch of bullshit. And I hate this. And, yeah. you know, it's like, this is awesome what we're doing though. Right. You know, it's, 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 it's such a unique thing that we get to do. And it's like, I just, even, you know, I mean, it still has its job elements to it where it's like, Oh, you know, this is a pain in the ass or, you know, this is kind of frustrating or you're not happy about this. You're not happy about that. But in the end, I mean, we're working in movies and we're, yeah, we're doing yeah. creatures and effects and stuff. And that's awesome to me. And it's like to get jaded about it, I, I think it's just, it's a waste. It's like, you know, if you, if you get to that point then you got to get out, you got to leave the business right. because right. I, I think that, being jaded and trying to do this work, you're not going to do good work right? because you don't yeah. give a crap anymore. Yeah, you yeah, don't yeah, care yeah. about it anymore. You're not interested in it anymore. And you're just going to, you're just going to basically crap it out. You're just going to basically just, ah, I just got to get the job done and get it out of my face so I can go home and blah. Right. You know, and, and, and I like going home at the end of the day, you know, no one likes working long hours, but it happens. And I'm okay with that, you know, because it's like, I'm doing something amazing. I'm doing the thing that I wanted to do since I was a kid. And right. there are not a lot of people in the world that yeah. can say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind when you work in this business is that, you know, you got to keep your mind on why did you start doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, why did you want to get into all this business? And it's because you saw something as a kid that fascinated you so much that you just honed in on it like a laser Right. And just had to learn whatever you could about it and learn how to do all of this stuff and be a part of all this because it just it just consumed you. And and I think that when you get jaded, you've lost that passion, you've lost that love for what this is, and you've you've lost that interest in it. And and I think that when that happens, you shouldn't keep doing something. Right. Because you're not happy in the end ultimately. Right. And and I think that that's really important. It's like, you know, like I said, I have moments where I'm I get frustrated at work. Everybody does. You know, I have moments where I'm just annoyed by something that's going on and things aren't going right or I have bad runs with my foam or my silicone and <laughs> that's frustrating. And you're just like, ah. Yeah. But in the end, you know, I still love what I'm doing. I still love that I'm involved in this because I've had some amazing opportunities and experiences in my life over the years I've been out here. You know, I've been I've been doing this work, you know for a good 20 years now, you know I mean? I have, I haven't been out here that long, but I did stuff back East. You know, I worked in haunted houses and right. I did a couple movies back East in Ohio when I was there and, and down in Florida. And, you know, it, it just, it, the passion for it never left me, you know, and I, I just, I've never been jaded about it because it's just, even when it's hard and it's miserable and it's tough and you're working for a boss, it's a jerk or you're, you know, on a show that you don't like or whatever, you know, you got to focus on the fact that you're still working in the movies and you're still yeah. working on television. You're still doing, like I said, something that only a small section of the population of the world ever gets to experience. Right. You know, and, and, and I think that you keep that in mind and you, and you, you can keep that kind of passion and love for it in place, you know, because man, I have, I have seen some really jaded people where I was just like, <laughs> Whew, dude, you yeah. need to find another job because you just hate everything about what you're doing, yeah. man. Yeah. And you, you hate the movies, you hate the work. You hate, and I'm just like, 
you need to just leave, man, yeah. because you're yeah. going to be miserable and you're just going to make everyone miserable around you. You know, so uh, I think that that's what it is for me. It's like I always try to kind of keep that in mind because, you know, otherwise, if if I ever get to that point, I, I just need to leave it. I can't I can't keep doing something that I'm going to be unhappy with doing, you know, and I get the idea of, well, you know, it's all I kind of know how to do. So it's a job and I got to keep doing it because I'm making a paycheck and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, you're miserable, though. And it's right. just like, why be miserable in your life? Because you just make everyone at work miserable. You make everyone in your outside work life miserable. And you just, you, you got to move on to something else. You know, you got to find that niche of something that now brings that passion for you. But I still have it. You know, I've been doing it That's this good. long and I don't know if I'll ever lose it because I just, I love movies. I love all this stuff. I've just always been just into it, you know, and it just, I could never imagine not liking this. Right. You know, and, and so that's, for me, that's how I kind of keep going with all this, I think, and how I haven't become jaded. <laughs> that's, good. that's good. Another really hard pivot. Okay. We, we've had this conversation before at work. And yeah. This is very much in tune with what this podcast talks about. Sure. So um, your favorite comic book character, comic book character of all time is the Hulk, correct? The Hulk for Marvel, uh huh, and Batman obviously for DC. Okay, so. gotcha. But yeah, those two characters. Ever since I was a kid, I was just like fascinated by them. I was so into them. I loved the Hulk TV show as a kid, mm -hmm. the comic book as a kid. I just I was super super into all of that. Okay. So yeah, those those are those are definitely hands down. Those are my absolute favorites. I think liking Batman. I mean, Batman's my favorite, or at least top one of the top top. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to ask about the Hulk particularly yeah. because yeah. I know there's a lot of Hulk fans, but um, what was it about it? I mean, do you, did you like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as well, or did you, you like a guy with anger issues? No. Or what, what? <laughs> yes, I like a guy that easily gets pissed and destroys everything around him um, because I feel that way sometimes. No, um, no, the thing that was, you know, I think – at the time that I became fascinated by the Hulk as a character, um, I was a really little kid. And as a little kid, I went through a lot of really rough medical stuff. I was born with a defective heart. So at six years old, I had to have massive, massive heart surgery. I have an artificial oh. valve oh, shit. Um, okay. and all of that work. And the idea of what the Hulk represented was it was a man – that when he couldn't deal with something could change and be something else that could deal with that situation. Okay. And I think as a kid going through this kind of really terrifying thing that you can't really process or understand what you're viewing or dealing with or experiencing or feeling because you're just afraid, Yeah. you know, um, to be able to be something else that could deal with that was just fascinating to me. And then I and I and I like the fact that also the fact that you know he was indestructible. Okay. And I think that that plays into what what I went on with too is you know I was looking at me being not destructible or not indestructible I should say and being destructible because I was born with something that didn't work right. Okay. You know so that kind of fascinated me and 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 that's one of the things that I always loved about him because he was this you know the Hulk was even though he was this kind of unhinged creature that just wreaked havoc and destroyed everything in his path he ultimately did what he did for good 
Right. You know what I mean? Did you like the fact <clears throat> that he couldn't control it? Yeah. Yeah. And it just when the situation got so out of hand that he couldn't deal with it anymore, the Hulk came about right. to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was always really kind of amazing to me. I always dug that. I, I, I like that idea, you know, because it's like I said, I had a situation in my life as a kid that I couldn't deal with. Um, that was tough to deal with, and I, I didn't have the faculties to deal with it properly. So I thought that was really cool that he could, like, you know, be this big, strong right. thing that could deal with whatever situation that comes along, right. you know, and, and 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 take care of it, you know, and that was really awesome to me. And then I also just, you know, I like the fact that, you know, beyond that, I like the fact that he he turned into this super strong, crazy monster that was like, <laughs> yeah, there's because a monster even, element, yeah. There was the monster element of it, yeah. of it too, you know, that I, as, as, you know, even as a little, little kid, I still, I loved monsters, you know, and right. I thought they were so awesome. So that aspect of it is like this guy turns into a monster that's so cool to me you know and it's like that was just a blast to me to read those comics and then and to watch that tv show and watch him turn mm -hmm. into this big green monster that just like can pick up cars and <laughs> smash through walls and was bulletproof and right you know just this like super strong crazy thing so it's just like that was what really kind of drawn me to the hawk you know and, and i was a fan ever since so you had heart <clears throat> surgery when you were six yes and where you were you were reading Hulk comics in the hospital or yeah, watching um, the show. Or yeah. What? Watching the TV show. I watched it as much as I could whenever it was on. I loved it. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, I, 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 um, I, if I could get my hands on a Hulk comic, I could, I would, you know, I mean, I remember standing like, even like she Hulk, you know, because uh -huh. it was still that kind of connection. I remember right. like as a kid, you know, standing in, 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 um, in the grocery store and, uh, they had back then they had, you know, like a weird like little book section area in the grocery store up front and there, there weren't was, proper comic book shops back in the day right there were but they the were pharmacy. very very few and yeah pharmacies and yeah. things like there were very few and far between and um at least in indiana you know yeah and uh, there would be like that rack that had all the comic books on it and right. i remember getting like a hulk comic or she Hulk comic or batman yeah. comic or whatever you know so you know trying to read all that stuff as a little kid you know because it just it was so cool and my parents were kind of i think okay with me looking into that stuff and reading that stuff as a kid too, just because, you know, I was reading something. Yeah. Like, oh, he's reading. <laughs> hey, he's actually reading something. He's not just, you know, watching TV all the time, you know? One of the great things that I love talking about comics is on the surface, it can seem so stupid. Yes. Especially, I mean, to people that aren't into this kind of thing. Right. He's wearing a cape. He's got a bright, he's got tights on. It's so <laughs> yeah. stupid. That's kind but of weird. Everybody that's really into this, they have like, they have really deep reasons. Yes. For the reason that they're into it. Yeah. You, I mean, very personal reasons, like the things that you, what you just said. Right. I, I find that. I mean, it's it's. I mean, a lot of the times, yes. The, the one of the biggest reasons is that's the shit I watched when I was a kid. Sure. But. Also, a lot of the times there's even more to it, like what you just said. Right, right. You know, and like I said, you know, and part of it too was that was what was on TV. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like I remember going um, to uh, this big auto show. They would do this big car show in Indianapolis at the convention center. And uh, they would have like all these like celebrity cars, like they'd have the A-Team van and they'd oh, have right. the Batmobile from the 60s TV show. And they'd right. have Kit there and they'd have all this you know <laughs> shit going on. And I remember one year that Lou Ferrigno was there and oh, I was shit. just like, I got to go meet the Hulk. Nice. You know, I knew who he was. I knew he was the Hulk and I just, I had to go and meet him. And it was so cool, you know, getting to meet him as this little kid 
you know, because like there he was, that's the guy, you know? Right. And, um, I, I was funny because at the same time, because I was just so into all of this stuff, you know, um, the Popeye movie had just come out Okay. and we had gone to see it. And I remember making the comment to my mom that I thought Lou Ferrigno should play the pop play Popeye because he's got really big forearms like uh -huh. Popeye, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and because he was this massive guy yeah. sitting there, like I had never seen anybody like that before yeah, in my yeah, life, yeah. and here I was face to face with this dude that could like pick up a car practically, you know. And it was just like, it was crazy to see that. <laughs> you know, it's the stupid things you say as a kid, Do but. You you watch comic book men by, by any chance i do I, I get a big kick out of that i love that show i've seen every episode it's so good you saw the one with frigno in it right yes i did that was amazing yeah that it, was so good he really fought a baby bear remember yes they, they had a that? yes they had a bear in that episode of the <laughs> hawk that he it, you know he just kind of wrestled with it it wasn't really anything crazy but, but you still know. though i mean yeah, animal yeah. rights activists will go insane you know? oh they lose their minds nowadays if somebody even dared to do something like that just to explain to people listening yeah the 70s hulk show has lou frigno as hulk in green makeup and everything literally kind of sort of fighting sort of wrestling an, an with a real baby bear yeah like an adolescent bear yeah, yeah. it was ridiculous <laughs> It was insane. That, that was one of the things that they asked about on uh, Comic Book Man. Yeah. Of course, the best part of, of that episode, though, is when he beats the bear and uh -huh. he, he like throws the bear through the air. <laughs> yeah. And it's this like terrible like mannequin in like a bear costume <laughs> just like flying through the air. It's so awful, but it's amazing, though, because yeah. it's just so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's, there's charm to that man there's a lot of charm to that there is there is you know because there, there's a weird innocence to it you know yes. it's like i mean you know i i don't think they would have ever done anything to hurt the bear you know and i don't oh, think lou no. would do that i mean he's a pretty gentle guy for the most part i don't think that they hurt that bear. no no they, they probably just today they probably just kind of wrestled around and it was probably nothing bad at all you know right. but yeah but people nowadays man they would freak out <laughs> he said it was strong as hell too oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah they're insane i mean those things you know a baby bear probably weighs, depending on an adolescent bear, depending on how old it was at the time, it probably wasn't far off from his own body weight. Yeah, exactly. Maybe even more. Um, just, I actually only have one last question, and then I think Maddie might have a couple. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and again, this is just a night of hard pivots, but no, I'm I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Whatever. <laughs> um. You are a kind of amateur ufologist. You follow <laughs> UFOs? <laughs> um, sort of, yeah. I, I have always been fascinated by weird stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that kind of goes hand in hand with having a love for monsters, right? Mm -hmm. And yes. um, so, yeah, I am kind of an amateur. I guess you could say I don't go on big UFO hunts. I haven't really ever done any of that. Okay. But I've... I've kind of studied it in an, in an, in an indirect way, I guess you could say, like, you know, I've, I've, I've gone and seen people speak about different investigations that they've done about things, talking about various topics. And, um, I just, I don't know. It's, it's fascinating to me. I'm, I'm fascinated by the strange and unusual. <clears throat> I always have been ever since I was a little kid, you know? And, um, so is it is it abductions or is it just the way aliens look flying saucers the whole thing it's just or? it's just the idea of the possibility that a species from another planet is traveling here okay 
and that people are having interactions with these things. Right. You know, I think that for the most part, most of it is explained uh -huh. um, by naturally occurring things, by experimental aircraft, by <clears throat> whatever. But there is a very small percentage that are unexplained. And I find that element very fascinating because there's something really strange going on that nobody can explain what it is. Okay. And people are experiencing things and seeing things that you can't really refute. And it's like, what is that all about? Right. You know, what the hell's happening there? You know, it's just, it's bizarre, you know, and, and I find that really interesting. You know, I always have, um, it's not about whether, what these things look like or anything like that or the crafts that doesn't really matter. It's just the idea that there's this possibility that maybe something like that is going on. And, and, right. you know, I view everything with a very skeptical eye, you know I mean? That, that comes from having a dad that's a cop. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he always taught, you know, us to like never just accept something at face value because there's always something more to it than what you're getting right away. Right. You know, and that's how his investigations always go. You got to peel back those layers. You got to really look right. at it. You got to really what's figure out really what's on. really going on here. Yeah. You know, you're getting this story, but is that really the story? Is that really what we're hearing, you know, is, is true? So, you know, I, I don't just accept everything to be what somebody says it is, you know, because there are a lot of goofballs out there. There are a lot of <laughs> nut jobs out there yeah. that come up with a lot of screwball stuff and, and, and uh, you know, to sell books or get checks from doing lectures or whatever. So I try to just take everything with a grain of salt. But I do believe there's something anomalous. There are anomalous occurrences of weird things that go on, mm -hmm. paranormal or the UFO thing or whatever, but I don't just immediately discount it, but I don't just blindly accept it. Right. You know, I mean, I've, I've had experiences. I've seen some weird things in my life that I can't explain. Can and, you elaborate on one of those things? Um, I guess one thing that would be really strange was years ago when I was in college, um, I went to Vincennes University, which was in southern Indiana by Evansville, right across the border um, from Ohio. Vincennes literally sits like on the border of Indiana and Ohio. Like okay. there's a bridge there. You walk across that bridge, you're in Ohio. Okay. And um, I would drive back to Indianapolis. It's about a two and a half, two and a half hour drive. So like at that time I was stage handing, you know, working with IOTSE. And so like on the weekends, you know, from time to time I would go home and I would work to make some money. And, uh, uh, there was a night that I was driving back and I had a friend that lived in Indianapolis and she rode with me back and forth, you know, and we were coming back and she was asleep in the seat next to me and I'm driving and you're driving through literally pitch black, okay. like through the woods and through down 60 going into Southern Indiana. There's nothing, there's no street lights. There's nothing. It is dark of dark, right? Um, trees lining the roads and all that. And I remember seeing this weird green glow out of the corner of my eye, and I turned my head to the right just in time to see this green ball oh, shit. drop down behind some trees, and then the light went out. I don't know what the hell that was. Uh -huh. I won't even begin to elaborate as to what it was, <laughs> but it was bizarre as hell. And I was like, Amy, Amy, wake up, wake up. <laughs> you know, this hey, friend of mine, and she's like freaking out, like, what the hell is going on? And I was like, I just saw this thing, this thing over there, you know? And I'm like kind of freaking out because it's, you know, I'm driving, it's dark and I'm seeing this crazy thing. 
that I can't explain. But, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, I've had moments like that where I've right. seen stuff that I just can't explain. Right. And I know that there's heat lighting, lightning. Um, and, and sometimes there have been um, uh, occurrences where people have uh, reported seeing like ball lightning that sometimes mm -hmm. is green that comes from the heat lightning, maybe, I guess. So it could have totally been that. Right. Totally something, you know, explainable, but I don't know what it was. Right. But so at the same time, I can't say that it wasn't something that wasn't anomalous, you know, that it wasn't some weird paranormal thing or UFO or who the hell knows what it was. Right. But, you know, I'm not just going to dismiss it as like, ah, eh, whatever. Right. It you was know? definitely something. I just kind of chalk it up to a bizarre experience. I saw something strange that I can't explain. Um, and, um, it just continues to help with my kind of interest in the anomalous, I guess you right. could say to me. Um, I think even as a kid, I didn't ever put too much stock into demons and ghosts and paranormal things like that. Yes. I was scared by those movies. When I saw the exorcist, I, I wanted to watch it during the day. Sure. <laughs> Cause I was really afraid of that. But I think at the same time, I never put a whole lot of stock into it even to this day, but yeah. with, with aliens, <laughs> I mean, when you look out into the night sky, you see space, right? Essentially and other stars and stuff right. more right. than likely. A lot of those stars that we're seeing have their own planets. Sure. So it seemed like aliens were the most probable monster. Sure. They were the, the most realistic monster that you, that we could get. So, and that coupled with, being a kid of the 90s where we were well, I was watching unsolved mysteries yes <laughs> that show scared the <laughs> shit out I love that show that show was awesome oh my god and i mean i like the ghost episodes too but right. i remember there there were some ufo episodes sure. and um i guess although although it was a it was a fake it was a story but x files as well the alien right, episodes right. love those right so grew up with a lot of that stuff and um yeah i think to this day i'd say uh aliens are probably my favorite monster right call sure, them monster sure sure and uh we talked about this at work a little bit yeah. but i mean yeah. just to clarify <clears throat> i i'm really really skeptical of anybody that says they've been abducted and things like that but just going off of or i'm really skeptical of if aliens have come here at all i'd like to think so but i personally don't know what the I'm not i haven't been convinced based on the evidence that i've seen right and uh part of me really would like like to believe 100 percent. sure but i i can't fully despite how much i'm into it and uh i don't know it also would be it would be really scary actually if they did come here because that would be like right like, like stephen hawking said he yeah, said yeah. that it would be like uh columbus the, meeting the native yeah Americans. the europeans coming over yeah yes. exactly no I, I i agree with you in that regard you know, i mean i think that you know i i definitely believe that there has to be life out there that that we can't be the only thing i, I find that to be very kind of yes. egotistical to it, think that we're the only intelligent yes. life in the entire massively vast universe right um unlike you though i do think that they're who knows they couldn't have come i don't say that they did i don't I say that they did not just to clarify i yep. think there's definitely a chance there's a chance but sure i think i think that right it's, it's mainly the, the abduction stories of people that say right. they saw an alien right 
I'm really skeptical of those people. But right. as for the overall possibility sure. that they have sure, come sure, to Earth, sure. it's possible. Yeah, like I said, you know, I mean, I, I I try to approach everything with you know anything's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I've, I've seen enough weird stuff in my life to go, okay, I can't right. just totally discount it. But I'm not just gonna, like I said, I'm not just gonna blindly accept it as as being a reality. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of weird kind of anomalous stuff that happens in the world that you know, right? We can't really explain. You know, I right. mean, the universe is a big place. Right. And there's a lot of stuff we don't know. Right, yeah. So, you know, it's like, you know, I can't just discount everything. I, I got to accept that, you know, there's a possibility that there's stuff going on out there that's just beyond us. And, you know, I mean, it's that whole idea of like there was the explanation or the, or the story that when Columbus came over to the West Indies um, and all of that and like, even like there was, you know, talk that the Vikings were here even before that. Oh and, yeah, and in all Northern, of the stuff. Yeah, in Canada. That, yeah. that there's these, these stories that that the natives that were here at the time, because they had never seen those kinds of ships uh-huh. or anything like that, that they didn't even see them, yeah. even though they were sitting right there on the coastline, because their brains couldn't comprehend what they were looking right. at, that they couldn't even formulate what they were seeing so it's like they weren't even there it's just suddenly these people appeared on the shore right like out of nowhere right 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 and and there's a weird thing to that idea that plays into the whole ufo thing that what these things are is so beyond what our brains can comprehend Mm -hmm. that they could come here and they could just these creatures would just appear and because we couldn't process what we were seeing, we wouldn't even be yeah. able to comprehend what we were looking at. It would be so it'd be almost like they're not even physically there till the, the, the entity is standing in the room or whatever with these people that supposedly say they're abducted. Right. So it's it's because of that story mm-hmm. that I can kind of go, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Maybe. Yeah. You know, and, and and like I said, once again, it's a maybe yeah, yeah, for yeah. me. But you know, it, it's, it's an interesting subject. It's just, I just find it kind of fascinating. And like I said, I just, I've always been fascinated by weird stuff. So yeah, it's like, yeah, that's yeah. part of it for me too. It's yeah. just kind of cool to go and like hear people talk about this stuff. Even if I'm like, ah, it's a bunch of bullshit, Right. but it's still kind of interesting. It's you know, fun to talk it's, about it's, it's sure. just fun to talk about yeah. and fun to hear yeah. what people yeah. think about stuff and what their views are on various subjects, you know, so it's a good time. It's funny because, you know, I was talking to, I used to host a Japanese language meetup. It was an exchange and, you know, English people or Americans would come to learn Japanese and, right. American, and Japanese people would come to learn English. By the way, is there hunting or fireworks going on where you're at? Yeah, I kind of figured I keep hearing the loud pops. July just, the fourth weekend, so it's uh, just it's, bear it's, with us, everybody. It's beginning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> value, guys. Come yes, it keeps it exciting. Yeah. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, about Japanese but people. The Japanese meetup, yeah. They, you know, we, one time I got on this, didn't happen that often, but there was one time where they were asking what was like the scariest thing for you or whatever. Right. I told them aliens and they just laughed. They, that was so funny because I, I noticed at that point, it's like it might be very cultural too. Like we've had Area 51. Yeah. And we have, I mean, mainly that one, but, uh, other shit too. You know, the Roswell, there's yeah. been, you know, the Bar- Bar- Barney and Betty, Betty Hill, Hill yeah. and there's been like all these different kind of incidents of things that have happened. Sure. And, and J- Japan certainly has had some of Yes, that. they have. But I think that it, uh, maybe it just boils down to Roswell. I don't know, but we, they just, maybe they just don't have that 
it hasn't permeated as much. It I felt don't, like. yeah, I don't think so. I think, you know, and, and, and I think that one of the things that I've learned over the years, cause that's a, that's a culture I've always been kind of interested in. Uh -huh. It's like the Asian cultures, you know, and, um, they have a culture that has a very strong root in the supernatural. Yeah. 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 You know, and, yeah. and, you know, they, so for them, the, I think that's where some of that kind of is hard to kind of buy into because it's, it's, it's different than spirits uh -huh. and things like that. It's this different thing. It's this living entity that is, you know, corporeal, that's tangible, right. that's physically here. Right. Whereas a lot of their cultural beliefs are based in, you know, the spiritual elements of things. So they kind of look at like aliens as like, nah, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Space creatures yeah, and all that. It's kind of weird. It's quite different. <laughs> it's, it's a very it's cultural a thing. thing, I think, for yes. sure, which is totally fine. You know, I mean, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And that's cool. I mean, and I, and I think, you know, with like the, within the Asian culture, I find like their, their interest in the supernatural very interesting. You know, it's like different monsters too. Oh, very much yeah, so. And there's yeah. some really cool ones in there yeah. too, actually. They gave us Godzilla. I mean, come yeah, on. That's true. Yeah. One that's of the true. best monsters ever. Guy in a suit. That's right. I've met that guy. Oh yeah, which was really cool. Are you going to Japan World Heroes by any chance? That's a convention in Pasadena um, in August. I don't know. I don't. I know it's coming. And I, August I don't know. August twenty fifth. Yeah, I, I thought about maybe going just to check it out, just yeah. to see, you know, go for the day and just kind of stroll around and see what's going on there because you know, you know, it's like the the, the Japanese they they do a lot of crazy stuff, you know. And if you're and, into I mean, Godzilla, like you said, oh, yeah, said yeah. then I mean, probably should. I mean, you you live in Pasadena. Yeah, it's just, it's literally right up the street, yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> Maddie, what you got, man? Man? Well, I was going to ask about why you did the, the Pumpkinhead movies, but you already kind of explained that. Because um, I was wondering, I was like, these movies weren't known to be, like, I think even people when they saw, like, the first trailers were like, ah. So I assumed you might have been a fan to work on them. It's like, ah, maybe if I can get on this project, I'll do it. Well, but, um, the, the the pumpkin head shows you know the, the, the how i ended up getting on those shows was purely because um i met this guy i think it was actually when i was on team america um named uh uh named matt or uh, mitch coughlin i'm sorry mitch coughlin and i met him through another friend a guy named norm tempia norm tempia was one of the main um coordinators on the show uh, for team america and he worked with Mitch a lot and they were buddies and I met Mitch and we became friends and Mitch was working for, um, <clears throat> for, uh, two hours in the dark, which was Gary Tunnicliffe who was doing the pumpkin head stuff and they needed people. So Mitch was able to kind of get me in over there and that's how I got in. It's like, I wasn't going there so much to work on the pumpkin head movies. Cause like, Oh my God, I got to work on a pumpkin head. It was kind of, this is awesome. I'm going to go work at two hours in the dark. They've worked on a lot of cool stuff. They've done a lot of the Hellraiser films, you know, and it'd be really, it's, it's a job and we're going to be working on the pumpkin head thing, which was kind of a bonus, I guess you could say. And that's kind of how that came about. And I was over there for a while working on quite a few things with Gary. Cool. Yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of like that creature. And uh, oh yeah, I remember seeing like, like aliens and predator and then i was like i remember seeing like vhs copy for the pumpkin head and i like remember picking up and looking on the back and it's like directed by created by stan winston i was like i have to know what this is right to know right now because stan oh yeah has designed some of the best creatures yes <laughs> you know just the like they've captivated my imagination anyway that like i know 
some people are like, oh, Frankenstein's it. But it's like, it's always Alien and Predator, man. Like, Andrew will right. contest this. It's like they're my two favorite creatures of all time. Like, <laughs> yeah. Pumpkinhead's in there, but not very many people know about Pumpkinhead. But right, I right. I can't ask about that, but you already went into it, so that was That's cool. all right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It's just like uh, Andrew had on Brent before, and, like, I love this shit. Like, I've always been a monster dude, Andrew. Like I talk about monsters all the time on this podcast. <laughs> but um, yeah, awesome. Man, just it's been cool to like listen to you guys talk about this stuff and like, you know, like I went to art school with Andrew and I like came out as an illustrator and just like, because there wasn't really any kind of like, any kind of monster makeup or any kind of makeup at like SCAD. Like you either had to be like a theater kid to learn it or right maybe a little bit of pre-production on a film they might teach you a little bit but i was like why don't we like i'm paying so much money to go to this fucking school like why is there no like i just want to make monsters you know so right I, right I, feel like I missed it in a weird time of because i guess that's a, around the time we were in college is like when the big cg boom was like all happening and stuff i guess andrew was, yeah. aftermath like, of star wars prequels yeah yeah, yeah so that makes like, sense yeah. there was more focus on that i guess than like oh you can't make it in the and like doing practical effects but it's like you know, all my favorite films have practical effects in them. It's like The Thing and Predator, you know, sure. like all these. And I was like, what do you mean you don't have this department? I'm paying so much money. <laughs> like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Bit. Just teach me how to make something bleed, you know? And look yeah, right. <laughs> so it's just been great listening to you. I mean, I've also picked up some of those. Like, I worked at a bookstore for a while. And anything that was old that came through, like, they throw away, like, some old monster makeup books and stuff. So I just sure. have some of those that I would just read from time to time. But it's been great just listening to you guys talk about Cause I'm super fan of just like behind the scenes. Like, yeah, I love all that stuff, stuff too. And, uh, like I was, when we, we were, you were talking, I had like the 1988 uh, blob remake on it and you were talking about effects. And I was like, these effects are amazing. It's so gory. It's so <laughs> gross. And I'm watching like Hellraiser two right now. Right. So it's, yeah. Like, yeah. Constantly on at my place, but just thanks for coming on, like and talking about this. Of stuff. course I could listen to it all day. I might not have anything <laughs> to say after you're done. But I'm just like, okay, cool. Yeah, I like all this stuff. Too. Just keep talking. That's okay. No, no, it's cool. You know, I mean, I, I, I love talking about this stuff. I mean, this is, you know, like I said, it's kind of the passion for me. You know, I mean, it's, it's, this is what I've been about, you know, since I was a kid, you know, and I've always wanted to do. So, you know, being able to kind of talk about all this stuff and, and tell people about things I've worked on, if they're interested and they want to hear about it, I love talking about it. It's a lot of fun, you know, because it's, it's, it's cool. You know, it's a fun kind of, thing to, to be a part of you know and it's like you know right. like i said i mean like i you know like you were talking about the hellraiser stuff you know getting to work over gary tonicliffs was really cool because he did a lot of that stuff because he worked with uh bob keen who was the studio that did the original hellraiser films one and two and all that and he was a part of all that and when they were he was coming over here to actually open up that um um the american element of that studio originally but it never took off so gary just stayed in the u.s and started his own shop two hours in the dark and he's done a lot of the Hellraiser sequels um, over here, you know. So that's where I, you know, I got to, uh, um, you know, because of that, I, you know, I got to meet Doug Bradley and I got to meet some of these people, and it was it was really kind of cool because I loved those movies as you know as a kid growing up because they were just so insane. I mean, it's just Hellraiser's just Hellraiser is just so out of control, <laughs> and that, that movie is just out of control, yeah. and I love it. I mean, just the the effects and the gags, and like I remember when I was there, I was so pumped because. Um, we were uh, talking about doing a video, I think it was for some band, and we were going to do all these crazy makeup effects. And Gary was like, we're going to do a version of um, 
the guy getting resurrected from Hellraiser, that whole scene where his body starts reforming when she drops the blood on the body and the floorboards. And we were going to do that whole thing. We were going to kind of do all that weird reverse for photography stuff. And I was so excited because it's like, I hadn't done anything like that yet. Right. I kind of knew how it worked, but I hadn't had a chance to do anything like that. And Gary had done all that. So to be able to do that with Gary was going to be really cool. But unfortunately that never came to fruition. So we didn't really get to do that, but it was cool being able to be there and to kind of work with Gary. He was a really interesting guy and he, you know, he, uh, uh, he, he, he's worked on a lot of cool stuff and, and, you know, it's, it's like I had some cool opportunities working with him, you know, doing some things, you know, and, and, and I was very grateful for this time that I had there, you know, and, um, because I, I learned quite a bit, you know, and, and he's no longer really, I think he's still in the industry, but he closed his shop and he moved to uh, Prague. I believe it was. Okay. Um, cause that's where his wife is originally from. Okay. But yeah, like, like last year or whatever, he did a big like auction where they sold off a bunch of their equipment and, you know, molds and all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, like, you know, cause Gary did like feast. I don't remember if you remember that movie. There was the, great. yeah, the project green light thing. Yeah. Yeah. They, they did all that stuff for feast and, and, um, you know, so it was, it was kind of cool. Like the things I did over there, like I said, were the pumpkin head and we did, um, we did uh, uh, what, what the heck was that movie? Um, Balls of Fury, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> which is a, not a horror film, but it's it's actually a pretty funny movie. It's really ridiculous. Um, we made like a bunch of jellyfish and we made a panda bear um, for a scene in that, and that was kind of kind of fun. And then we did um, this script we, requires jellyfish and a panda bear. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so I was making a bunch of, I mean, I made dozens of jellyfish for a tank that busts open. And there's all these like weighted jellyfish that are in there. So like they were all silicone, but they floated and they had weights. So the little tentacles would move in the current and all that. So they looked like they were moving and everything. It was kind of a cool little gag. But, um, but we, you know, I got to go to set on Pulse when they redid um, that, you know, the Japanese version but they did the american version and um that was a really cool experience because I, I did a couple of days on set doing makeup application on that which was nice. pretty awesome my previous job actually uh, i worked with the editor of that movie oh really <laughs> that's funny yeah. wow it's, it's so it's a small world yeah it really is it's a yeah. small world you know yeah. and and you know because you're in cincinnati right matt yeah okay yeah i was i worked at king's island for two seasons <laughs> yeah it's a big thing here people love it yeah, and um, you know, growing up in Indianapolis, you know, we went there, you know, all the time as a kid. But while I was there, I worked on a super low budget, ultra just a shitty little horror film called Zombie Cult Massacre. I did one day on set. Um, I didn't do any makeup effects. <laughs> I assisted the director because he was shooting it on this kind of like super VHS kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember what the format was, but I was running tapes for him. Um, I'm in the movie driving a car into the cult compound. My wife is in the movie actually standing in the lookout tower. She actually shoots a zombie in the head with a shotgun, which was pretty awesome for me as a big horror nerd to have my wife kill a zombie in a horror film. It's pretty nice. badass. Um, <laughs> Good job, baby. But yeah, but, but what's <laughs> funny with the whole small world thing is that um, the guy that directed that movie – um, there's a guy that we work with at Fracture named J.D. Bowers that's a uh, sculptor there. He lived and grew up in Cincinnati, and he worked with that dude on a lot of films. And he almost worked on Zombie Call Massacre. So J.D. Oh, and I almost met and worked together right. way back in like 96 or something like that in Cincinnati. 
and we ended up meeting out here and we got to talk and we figured out that, oh my God, you know, you almost worked on that movie. I worked on that movie. No way. And it was just kind of right. this weird, small world because there's a lot of that in this business. I've, I've ran into a lot of people that, that are from my hometown out here. You know, there's, there's actors that are, that I've, I've worked with that are from my hometown. There's a guy named Doug Jones uh-huh. that does a lot of creature suit work. He was Pan in Pan's Labyrinth and The Pale Man. And he's been in, you know, he was Abe Sapien in the Hellboy films. And he works with, with uh, Guillermo del Toro quite a bit. He's from Indianapolis. He's from my oh, hometown. Shit. Yeah, you know, and, and I met Doug actually on Doom because he was in the uh, imp suits, the weird okay. skinny creature that's in the Doom movies. He's in all those suits. And Maddie and I saw that together when we were in college. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was like the first thing, I, one of the first things I worked on over at Stan Winston's was working in the foam room with uh, Corey Chekai, who's the head of that department over there on that show. And that, that was really cool to be able to work on that. What it was, was like, the energy like on doom actually? Was it like, cool, we're making a video game movie. It's going to be in the rocks in it. Or was it like, no, no, like, this is going to be shit. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no, I can't say that, um, that it was that at all. Um, it was like, all right, we're doing this movie. We're making these creature suits. Let's get them done. We got to get them out. We got to hurry and go. You know I mean? It was kind of that mm-hmm. thing. It wasn't really about that. It was this, this video game movie that was getting made, you know, that was kind of, we were just, it was a job. We were making these suits and it was cool working on these suits because they were awesome suits. These things were amazing looking. They look so fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they got the coverage that they deserved in the film because right. they look so badass in person. They were freaking awesome looking. And, um, you know, so at the same time we were doing Zathura, which was the second of the, yeah, the second of the Jumanji films. Mm-hmm. You know, we did the Zorgons and that, and we did uh, which were the big lizard creatures. And that was pretty cool making those. Man, that was that was quite an experience because um, I remember Doug looked at me one day. He was there doing a fitting in one of the imp suits, and we were shooting in the foam room. We were, you know, because we'll close the mold up, and we'll we have these big, um, uh, big basically giant syringes we call foam guns uh-huh. that we pour all the foam in, and then we close them up, and then we have a nozzle that plugs into the side of the mold and we push the foam in to fill the, fo- the mold up and we were pumping the heads for the Zorgons and, and, and I had to get up underneath the mold and reach up inside like what's called the core um, of the head and pack all these holes that the foam pumps out. So it, you don't get any air bubbles. It bleeds the foam. So it burps out any air that's in there. Right. And uh, I just was covered in black foam. It was ridiculous. It was in my hair. It was all over my face. It was kind of nuts. And I walk out into the out, out onto the <laughs> out onto the the floor of the shop, and I'm all yeah, like that, just covered in foam. And like Doug Jones is there, and that's like kind of how I first met him. He looked over at me like, "Who the hell is this insane person covered in black goo coming out of this room like a freaking nut?" And, um, he, you know, we, we kind of met on that show and I got to talk to him multiple times when we kind of came friends and he, he's a super nice guy, but it's a small world in that regard, right. you know, like all these weird things. There's a guy, Joe Caldwell that we work with that's from Indianapolis. And we found out that we worked on that haunted house in Indianapolis together oh, and didn't shit. even know each other. You know, it's just, it's <laughs> bizarre, you know, but these, all these names you're hearing, by the way, uh, I'm, we're going to see if we can get them on yeah <laughs> very soon. A guy named Bernie. Bernie Sanders. Yeah, Bernie Eicholtz. Yeah. He, uh, I almost called him Bernie Sanders. Sorry, we Bernie. Were, we never worked together before <laughs> this, but uh, we were at a Blind Guardians metal show. We were at the same Blind Guardian show. That's Didn't awesome. We each other at the same time. That's at, awesome. At, at that time. Bernie is, Bernie is such a metal dude. It's kind of fantastic. 
He's, a lot, he's, a lot he, of Iron Maiden shirts at the shop. Yes, there's yeah. a lot of Iron Maiden shirts at the <laughs> shop. It's pretty hilarious yeah. to me, you know, because I mean, I, I grew up, you know, as, as a kid, I grew up, you know, with all that metal scene going, you know, as as being this horror nerd, you know, like, you know, that was one of the things you were into. You were into metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and um, you know, as, but I was also into like industrial music and all uh-huh. that, like this crazy kind of underground electronic stuff, like Ministry and Skinny Puppy and right. all these kind of crazy bands. So yeah, it's just it's it's funny how all that kind of goes hand in hand, you right. know, like the metal and like makeup effects. It's just like I don't know what it is, but that's you know everybody in this industry for the most part, at least my generation, guys right. in the '40s and all that that have been doing this, they're all like metalheads, and it's it's hilarious to me. Yeah, you, <laughs> it's either like <laughs> some people wear like actual horror movie shirts, yes, like I don't know Exorcist shirts or whatever, yes, and then you see a lot of metal shirts too which is that's what it is cool. i mean that's what i grew up with i grew up with punk and metal yep. mostly as well yeah it's funny because you know i mean when i started working in this industry it was weird because i found this like group of people that were just like me <laughs> <laughs> you know that were these what weird kids yeah they were yeah exactly there were these weird <laughs> kids that were into horror films and heavy metal you know and they just like it's just so funny because like i was you know i grew up in indianapolis and it's like I had this really tiny, tiny, like group of friends, you know, like just a couple of guys that I was buddies with that were into all that music with me and they were into all these movies with me. And we were just this weird little clique of, we were the weird horror metal (laughs) guys in school, you know, and everybody else was doing whatever. Yeah. 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 yeah, You know, exactly. So, you know, it was kind of when I came out here, I was like, Jesus, I'm like working with hundreds of people just like me. It's so bizarre. When you take a step back, it really sh- shouldn't be too surprising because metal's kind of the horror of music. It, it, it <laughs> really know? is. I mean, you have all these bands that are, you know, based around horror films. I yeah. mean, they're all their songs yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are, you know, the titles of horror films. Or, right. You know, the themes are all horror-based. You know, yeah, it totally right. makes sense. But, you know, it was just, I don't know. I, I, I It was kind of a funny experience to kind of come into this industry and, and – be surrounded by all these guys that were just like me. It was uh-huh. just like, it was a weird thing because like I said, I was just a couple of us where I grew up right. that were into this. We didn't have like all these friends that were into all this crazy shit that we were into, you right. know? So it was, it was kind of an interesting experience to, to, to come across all of that. True. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, I, I want to, okay, I know I said I was asking my last question. No, that's all right. Ask away, man. I got to ask this because of Stefan, who's not here today, but uh, for for Stefan, this one's for Stefan. Okay. You worked on Apocalypto. Yes, I did. What was that like? <laughs> that was cool. That was a cool show to work on. Um, um, and uh, I was the head of the foam department on that at captive audience, which was an amazing experience for me because I was getting to work for Greg Canham and Greg Canham was one of these guys as a kid growing up that I looked up to. I mean, he did lost boys and all uh-huh. these other films. And it's just like, Oh my God. You know I mean? He did, you know, I mean, you know, he worked on like, um, dragon or not dragnet, but, um, uh, uh, Warren Beatty. And, uh, I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but it was based on the old comic, um, Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Third is Dick Tracy. Captain audience did that one. I believe he girl Greg. I think that might've been, um, Greg Cranham, Greg Canham creations okay. before it was captive audience, but you know, he worked on that stuff and he worked on a bunch of other amazing films. He worked on, on Bram Stoker's Dracula, okay. which was like one of my favorites. I mean, right. he did all those suits for that, you know, the bat suit and the werewolf suit and all that was just mm-hmm. awesome. So good. 
Um, so, you know, going over to captive audience for me was such an amazing experience working for Greg. Um, I may be wrong about Greg working on Dick Tracy. I apologize if I'm wrong. I may be wrong. Um, Don't worry about it. There's a lot of information swirling around in my head. Um, anyways, but working for Greg Canham, you know, uh, on Apocalypto, you know, that was kind of cool being over there, being a part of that because that was that was a crazy show because we did a lot of really wild stuff. I mean, we made tons of animals um, that had to be, you know, mutilated and cut up for all the different scenes that go on in the film. We made hearts. Um, pumping hearts that were like, you know, cut out of people's chests. Right. So they had little mechanisms inside to make it look like they're still pumping and moving and all that. And that was really amazing. Um, I made 70 some odd pregnant bellies. Oh shit, really? Out of foam, foam latex pregnant bellies. Yeah. Because the main guy, his wife's pregnant, if you remember through the uh -huh. whole film. Yeah. And so she was in an appliance every time. Right. And what happened with that was, um, I would make all these things and we would ship them down to uh, uh, South America or Mexico it was Mexico down to Mexico where they were shooting. And um, the guys picking these things up from the shipping uh, location where they would come into port um, would just take these things. Literally we had these big like forms that were a representation of the woman's body and the appliance would lay on it. So it would hold its shape. And we call them bucks. Okay. They were, they were a vacuum form machine, so it's plastic. You know, we have a thing, and we pull it down, and it makes this, this, this piece that we put on. But I would have all of these things. We would ship out like a dozen of them, a couple dozen of them. And they would take them out of these boxes where they're padded, and they're sweet, and they're good. Mm -hmm. And they would just pile these things on top of the, each other in the back of their truck, drive for hours into the jungle right. to deliver these things to set. And because they weren't taking the greatest of care with these pieces, yeah. they would be all jacked up when they'd get to set. And there'd be a bunch of them that were unusable. And I'd have to rerun a ton more oh, wow. to ship down the set. So I ended up running like over 70 of these bellies <laughs> because they would get damaged. And then there would be times where um, Mel would have them put them in the makeup. Okay. And they would never shoot her. Oh, wow. And the thing with the prosthetic is that once you've glued it on and you've painted it, when you remove it, it's done. Oh, you right. can't reuse it. Okay. You can to a certain degree with certain kinds of pieces, but for the most part, they're wrecked. And her, she had an exposed belly, right? She wasn't wearing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. That, that's why you need 70. Yeah. So like every time she was on camera, she uh -huh. had that belly. Oh, shit. You know, so there would be days that she would put that belly, put that they put that belly on her and they wouldn't film her. So that uh -huh. belly was wasted. So they'd have to remove it from her body and they would just throw it away. New belly. And they'd have to get a new belly for the next day to, to, to start the whole process all over again because that's, that's how they work. That's how prosthetics work. Okay. So that on top of some of these things getting damaged the way they were, that, that got fixed, the whole issue of the way they were transporting these things from, okay. uh, from the, um, uh, the delivery location um, got corrected. But they damaged quite a few, though, in the beginning with that whole process because I don't think that they, you know, they clearly didn't understand that. You know, you need to leave these in the box and you right. need to put the box in the truck <laughs> right, right, right. and take it down so you right. don't wreck these things because there's a lot of time and effort put in to make these things look really nice, you know. And um, But uh, Apocalypto was cool, you know. That was kind of a fun experience. And it was, it was interesting. Before we started Apocalypto, I actually um, was working at Captive at one point and we were doing uh, The Mask 2 and oh, white chicks oh man 
And um, we also were doing some of Charmed. We were shooting episodes of Charmed. Okay. And um, they were doing reshoots of Passion of the Christ. Okay. And it was this was a weird experience I had. I got to meet Mel Gibson, you know, at okay. that time. You know, he came to the studio because they had a uh, soundstage across the street from the main shop space that was another part of the studio over there where they had like a kind of a digital facility set up. And um, they were going to shoot a pickup shot of the as which this is an amazing name for a band. I get first dibs if anybody tries to use it. Animatronic Jesus <laughs> that they had made. Um, for the film because they made a full animatronic puppet of Jim Caviezel on the cross. Okay. So there were times where it was really him and there were times yeah. where it was this puppet. Right. And that was kind of weird. You know, we'd be yeah. working under this Jesus on the cross yeah. and you didn't want to cuss or anything, you know, cause you're just like, there's Jesus right there. You yeah, know, I don't yeah, want to yeah. growing up, you know, with, with Catholicism in my life, you know, you kind of right. have a little bit of that fear in you. Right. <laughs> but, it was a weird experience because like, okay, we're going to do these reshoots and we need to take this animatronic Jesus across the street to shoot this pickup. So I'm like, where's the photo of this? Because it was me and a bunch of the other guys lowered this thing down and we're carrying this cross with Christ crucified to it through the shop out to a truck to take it over across the thing. And we all have Jesus on the cross on our shoulders. And it was just such, I'm like, this is like such like a kind of an amazing, like behind the scenes photo that needs to happen because it was so bizarre. It was so, (laughs) but yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of cool. That was, that was, um, that was cool though. Being able to be a part of those projects in that regard. That was the only thing I really got to do with cat with, um, passion of Christ, but apocalypto. I mean, we did, that was a fun show just because we did so much stuff for that. I made like a monkey and I made all these weird little things for it, you know, and it was, it was kind of awesome because I was just like, I was the guy. It was just literally me. I was the only one in my department. I didn't have any help. And I was like running all these bellies and I was running this, this, this monkey. We had to run a couple of these monkeys for it and like all these other things. And that was kind of, that was kind of cool, you know, being able to do that. That was one of the early on periods in my career out here where I got to be just the main guy kind of doing it. And and I didn't, you know, I wasn't working under somebody and, you know, Greg was really gracious and, and, and kind of awesome and like trusting me and to do all that stuff. And even, you know, Keith, who was the other owner of the shop, you know, and and I, I never, you know, never had to worry about them. Like, you know, being untrusting of me doing what I had to do, they trusted me and what I was, was doing for him. So, that was kind of rad, you know, and, and like I said, you know, getting to work with Greg was kind of awesome because he was one of those guys I looked up to and, right. and he was such, he's such an awesome man. He's just, he's a really sweet guy. And, 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 uh, I got to do a lot of really cool stuff over there, you know, and, and, and meet a lot of really interesting people on that show. Did you ever go to set on that one? You ever go to the jungle? No, I never went to the jungle. Okay. Never went down there. I was just, I was just a, a lab monkey. Okay. Gotcha. As it were, you know, it was just, I was like a lot of us are, you know, we're just, a lot of us are just in the shop, you know, and we're making everything that goes to set. You know, there's a, a certain group of people that will go, you know, get sitting down or not like really a certain, but just a small group of people that get sent to set, you know, and depending on what the gags are, you know, but I, I have, you know, been able to go to set, you know, luckily with, with some of the things I've worked on and, and wrangle bodies or, or do makeups or whatever, you know, so that's kind of an awesome opportunity that does arise from time to time. And, where I'm at now, fractured, you know, Justin Raleigh, the guy that, that, that runs the shop and runs it has been really amazing and, and trying to any opportunity that comes along that he can send me to set to do makeup. He, he does it. Nice. He tries nice. to make it happen for me if he can. And that's pretty amazing because 
there's a lot of shops that won't do that. Yeah. You know, a lot of shops, they, you know, they, 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 they don't, they have certain people that they only send, you know, and they don't do everybody else, you know, right. we just stay there to kind of work and do the work, you know, and then that's fine. And that's just the way the business is. And I, I don't have a problem with that, but it's kind of awesome when that opportunity does arise. Awesome. Well, Matt, if you don't have anything, I think that's pretty much it, man. All right. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. oh yeah. Go ahead. If Ask what? Done, can, no, oh, no, I was just going to say if, if there's like, since you're a big horror movie, dude, is there any kind of horror movie that you'd like to see be remade because you watch it now and you're like, oh man, I could pull off so many more gags or I can make the makeup look so much better. Oh, is there any man. Movie just like, man, this would be so cool to work on if I could produce it or like. Right, right. Out there that you're just like, I'd love to just have a hand at maybe trying to make this more, you know, more up to date. I guess. Right. That's that's tough for me to say because of the fact that you know I'm actually kind of an anti remake kind of guy. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like because they're never ever ever going to make these films be as good as the originals. It's yeah. just not going to yeah. happen. And and so I have a hard time with that. But I mean, there are some of the lesser known horror films out there. I think that people you know, nobody really knows about that. We're just so like badly done that could probably redone, be redone. That, that would be really amazing. And, uh, to think off the top of my head, what would be really kind of cool. I mean, that's a tough one. Um, I would say, Oh man, <laughs> that's hard to say, you know, because a lot of the films that I love, I just would never want to see, be, see, you know, see remade, you know, but, I guess the best thing with like some of those remakes are you got to do something different. Like I never thought I'd like the evil dead remake. Cause I was like, I don't care. Even right. if it's gorier, that movie is just like a solid movie. Like, right. But it doesn't have anything to do with like the Bruce Campbell evil dead. We all know and love. No, right, 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 right. Yeah. Like, you know, you know I, the thing or, right. You know, like they, they, they remade humanoids from the deep. Um, not too many years back. And I actually have a buddy that worked on it that did all the suits for it. Um, but I, I think that the execution on that probably wasn't dialed in the way it could have been. And that would be a good one because, you know, to get a bigger budget and really like go for it and really do these creatures the way they, you know, like, like now would be kind of cool. I mean, the ones that Rob Bettine did were amazing. They were really cool. I mean, they're big kind of goofy rubbery monsters, but they looked really cool and they were kind of creepy and kind of weird way, you know? And, and, but you know, I mean, seeing something like that, maybe redone, like I saw the, uh, the My Bloody Valentine remake, which I love the original of that one. Yeah. That's one of those Canuck horrors, as it's called. You know, it's Canadian based because there was a lot of that, you know, that went on a lot of these crazy horror films that came out of Canada in the 70s and 80s. Um, and that remake, I thought they did nicely. Um, I, I, you know, it's like I know that that like Night of the Living Dead is such an amazing film on its own. I know that they've kind of remade that. A few times so to speak you know like there was the the savini one's pretty good but I, I i think that you know it would be interesting to see romero maybe reapproach that story okay and and see what he would do with it now you right. know like like in the perspective of of where he's at in his life now you know versus you know the 60s when he did it originally mm -hmm. um you know because it's creepy and it's amazing and it's kind of a weird untouchable film. But at the same time, I, I, I think that, you know, if it was somebody like Romero himself redoing it, it could be kind of interesting. You know, it'd be right. interesting to see what he would do now, you know, although, you know, I think that Romero, you know, at this time isn't really doing a whole lot anymore. And I mean, he's getting up there now and I don't know if we'll ever see another film from Romero ever again, but I think he's doing road to the dead or whatever. 
shooting a new one right now. Yeah, I I'd heard something about that, but I wasn't sure where that was all at. I hadn't seen a lot more on it yet. So yeah, I've only read a few. I did I did get to work on a Romero film, which was kind of a a, a a highlight of my career so far, which is pretty awesome. I worked on Land of the Dead. Oh yeah, I was a mold maker on that. I was actually working at Stan Winston's at the time and freelance or like. I guess uh, was it moonlighting would be the term oh. moonlighting over at KNB effects. Cause they were doing all the effects for it. Oh, yeah. So like I was literally going in at like four in the morning over at KNB doing mold work till like for like three or four hours in the morning beforehand every day. And then driving over to start work at eight at, at stands and oh, work there God. all day. But I was like, it's a George Romero movie. Yeah, I'm working yeah. on a George Romero movie. Right, I right, gotta right. do it. You know, it's yeah. like it's like one of those things for me. It's like to work on a Romero film would be amazing. To be able to work on a Dario Argento film would be amazing right. for me. You know, because he's like one of those guys that I look up to. So to get that opportunity, I'm like, I'm on board. Let's do it. I don't care. You know, that's kind of awesome. You know. Are you excited for the Suspiria remake? No, I am not. <laughs> I, like there was like when David Gordon Green was attached to it for a while, and I was like, yeah. this could be interesting because he's like an indie dude. Like he's going to bring a different kind of sensibility to it. I'm interested to see what he would do, but I don't know who has it. Yeah, you know, I mean, for me, you know, Suspiria is a masterpiece of a film, so, I think. And and trying to remake that, you're it's just it's just a waste of time, I think. You know, I mean, it's like it's like you know doing you know a, a your rendition of some master artwork. You know, it's like. Yeah. What's the point of that? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it makes no sense. It's ridiculous. You're just copying something and 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 um standing on the laurels that you know you're doing something that somebody else has done so maybe people are going to be interested and want to check it out yeah you know and, and that's kind of where i am with like a lot of the remake stuff there have been some cool remakes there have definitely been some really great remakes the thing is yeah. a remake yeah yeah i know right? and that's an yeah. awesome movie i love yeah. the original thing yeah. um but that but you know i think that it, it just it takes a special director when it comes to remakes to do it right yeah. because a lot of the times these guys drop the ball because their egos get in the way They're like oh i'm gonna make it my own and i'm gonna do this twist i'm gonna do that blah. and you're basically completely losing the heart of what that film was because you don't right. understand what it was it's like it's like the whole rob zombie halloween remake stuff yeah i oh god <laughs> um you know Rob, just keep making your music because you do, I, I think, a much better job at that. You know, it's, 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 it's the Devil's Rejects, I think, is the best thing that he's done so far. Yeah. And I just have been really just under impressed by anything else that he's done, to be honest. And, 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 um, I, because, you know, the Halloween remake, my, my big issues with those is that he completely just like ignored, why Michael Myers is the way he is. Mm -hmm. And he changed it to this just white trash, hoogie crap that just was the reason why he was the way he is. Oh, he comes from this household with this drug addicted stripper mom and this shitty kind of stepdad boyfriend guy that was crappy to him and hit him and was terrible to him. And it made him all screwed up in the head. And now he's going to kill his sister or whatever and become this big murderer. And I'm like, no, right? no, that's not what Michael Myers is. Michael Myers was the way he is because he's pure evil. He is evil incarnate. I mean, that's the whole thing is Dr. Loomis in the film says, I look into his eyes and I just saw the heart of evil. I just see just pure evil. And that was completely thrown out the window with the stuff that Rob Zombie did. And it was just, 
it, it was just terribly done. I mean, I, I guess the second one is kind of okay. It's better, you know, because that he one stabbing scene, like when he flips the car and he stabs that person. Yeah. Like, this is so brutal. Cause it's just like, yeah. That scene always gets me. I'm like, yeah. 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 I mean, he has, he ha see, you know, and the thing that I can give Rob is that he actually, I think is a very good visual director. Mm -hmm. It's like Cameron, Cameron, is an amazing visual director. Like he is amazing at doing the visual element of the film. Um, he's not the best when it comes to building character development and, and, and directing the actors, you know, into dramatic elements of the story or whatever, you know, I don't think Rob is the best screenwriter. Mm -hmm. You know, his, his dialogue is just so corny and bad and just like, <laughs> It's just like, oh, God, dude, you, you really should have had somebody else write this script, like give them the idea, and then, then they write it, and you put your two cents in. But visually, his films are always really, I think, kind of interesting. Like he has – he's an amazing art director. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean when you look at like his music videos and his stage shows, the art direction on those things are always phenomenal. They're so cool. They're so interesting, and they're so unique, and he has such a great style with that. I think that he would – I, if like if I was directing a film and I wanted to have this really wild kind of weird psycho circusy kind of over the top horror visual element to it, he would be a guy that I would want to go to to help do production design because he just has a great sense of all of that. And and but I just think that he just isn't quite there as a director, and he's trying. I feel too hard to be a cult horror director and and like <laughs> like that time's kind of gone right now you know it's like that stuff was done in the 70s and 80s and it's like you're trying to be this director for like the grindhouse kind of world and i'm like dude it's over it's like you're not that doesn't exist and all you're doing is just kind of i i, I don't have a problem with like the homage to that period but right. I, I i feel like he tries a little too hard with it and i and you know it's like my my big problem was i felt like he needed to make a movie that took place now, contemporary and modern. And huge budget, but with like a B movie script. Yeah. It just doesn't work. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it do, it really doesn't. You know, it's like, you know, if you've got this like amazing budget, you know, you need to maybe spend the time to get your script more tight and your story more tight so that, you know, it all kind of comes together and coalesces better so that you can put out something that's going to be a better film, you know, and, 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 I don't know. It's like, you know, I, 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 I feel like he's, you know, was a rock star that decided he wanted to be a director, but I don't know what kind of background and training he has in directing film, you know, and, and, and I feel like it kind of shows sometimes. Yeah. I mean, personally, I was, I was never really a big fan of um, house of a thousand corpses. I was like, you know, that captain Spaulding or whatever. It was weird. Guy, it, I, it's never. Yeah. It, the it only felt clown I ever liked was the Joker. Any other clown, just I can't get into. It. Well, except for killer clowns from outer space, I guess. But uh, Devil's Rejects, I actually liked that one. Okay, right. that was pretty cool. Yeah, I liked that one. I thought that was a good film. I thought that I, I felt like that he kind of found a nice stride as a director with that one, and he really kind of touched on all of those elements of those films that he loved. But he did it in a unique enough way that it wasn't such as it wasn't like a blatant ripoff yeah, yeah, yeah. of other stuff, you know. Like I, I mean, House of a Thousand Corpses is, is such like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh -huh. ripoff at times, yeah. and 
all this other stuff and it's just like you know i, I don't know it's just it was kind of a mess yeah you know and and i think that i think that the feel of of devil's rejects is what he ultimately may have wanted to do with house but uh, he yeah, didn't probably, quite get yeah. there because i know the house had a lot of problems they had a lot of problems with universal oh, yeah. um and, and not being happy with the film and and it got shelved and there was all this crazy stuff that went on with trying to get it finished and get it released and and all that so I'm sure there was quite a struggle there because they were probably like, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> you know, when they saw the movie, because there's a lot of crazy shit that goes on in that movie. I mean, he turns a dude into a fish man. You know, <laughs> It's just like, they were just like, wait a minute, you yeah. know, that's, that's a bit kind of over the, over the edge for us. You know, what the hell's happening here? You know? So I'm sure that was probably part of the issue that he ran into with that film, but devil's reject, I thought was a good film. I really enjoyed that one a lot. I thought it was, it, it had that, vibe that movies like the hills have eyes and yeah some yeah, of those yeah, other yeah. kind of like um um what's that what's it called uh uh running from the devil or something like that there's a there's a film that's kind of a chase horror thing that was done in the 70s that had uh uh oh man what's it uh i think was it peter peter fonda or somebody was in it yeah yeah, that's it. I've seen it. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's like like he was taking like elements of that film, I think, and, and kind of putting them into this because they're kind of on the run, you know, but they're like kind of these maniacs that are killing all these people along the way at the same time. So, you know, I, I think that he he kind of found a nice stride in that film when he was making that one. So that was that was that's probably for me my favorite that, that was done. But the Halloween remakes, though, back to what we were originally talking about. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. Sweet but, Jesus. To your point with that i think that there is like this for some reason there's this huge need to explain every little thing now. yeah and and people no don't are, explain it they're losing yeah they need to go back to that where that that place where you're you just don't need to explain every little right. thing and you, that, don't, you don't need to be tolkien and explain the weather patterns of uh you know like he there's some story about tolkien had to rewrite part of lord of the rings right. because the weather wouldn't have been that way right or something like that and that that's fine for whatever he did and you know game of thrones he but he's kind of you know doing this very similar thing right martin is doing even has the two r's right right exactly so that's fine for that but you don't need that for every fucking no. thing that you write right and that's the point with like with like the rob zombie remakes is you know is because of the fact that that you know michael was the way he was purely because he was just evil you know and there was no more explanation other than that Right. And that's what made him so creepy and so scary because it wasn't just some fucked up kid that grew up with like a shitty, you know, white trash mom that was a stripper with a shitty boyfriend that beat him up as a kid and they were full of drugs and all that crap. You know, it was like, it was just this pure evil and that made it more terrifying because I remember seeing that movie for the first time and that scared the hell out of me. I was just like, this is messed up. This is right. terrifying. What right, the hell's right, going right. on with this guy? You know, I mean, this is why the hell is he doing all this shit? This is insane. You know, it's just like, yeah. what the hell, yeah. you know? But, you know, unfortunately, of course, down the line with the sequels of that film, they had to explain, oh, well, Jamie Lee Curtis is actually his sister and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, no, we didn't need all yeah, that. That's not, you're, you're kind of once again, you're kind of over explaining something that was unnecessary. The unknown is scarier, right? So. Way, way scarier. And I think that that's what makes a good horror film is that unknown, that unknown element to it. Right. You know? and, and, that's something that I think a lot of people miss when they make horror films nowadays too, you know? Yes. Every, every little thing. Yeah, yep, for sure. Um, I think that's going to do it. Okay. Yeah. 
Cool. Um, anyway, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having yeah. me on. Thank you so thanks, much. Man. Yeah, it was great. It was great coming and chatting with you guys. I appreciate it. It's all it's fucking great, man. Oh yeah, cool man. It was a lot of fun. You know, it's kind of fun going through all this craziness. You know, it's it's it's, a, it's been a it's been a kind of a, a winding crazy road to get where I'm at now. You know, right. and and I've experienced a lot of cool stuff. I've experienced some crappy stuff. You know, but yeah, you know that's a, that's just what makes you stronger. You know, in right. this business, you know, it's just you know how you deal with the bad elements. You know, right. you know, so you can move past those to all the good stuff. So you know, it's kind of fun to talk about all of it. Right. And thanks for having me, guys. All right, that was Brian A. Jones. I want to thank him again for coming on. And let's get to the news. Yeah, let's do it. Yay. There's a lot of trailers that happened this week, but um, let's at least first get to... uh, We got uh, in the Marvel section... Evan Peters is returning as Quicksilver for for X-Men Dark Phoenix. Um, the only thing I got to say about this really is that I I mean if it's the same exact thing again, I, I enjoyed it, but even in the second the second time they did that it was like all right, this is just kind of fan service. I get why you need to do it, but it it kind of lost the magic a little bit. It was really really amazing that first time. Mm-hmm. Um and it, you know, it was it wasn't bad. It was it was good the second time, but yeah, it kind of feels like they need they need to showcase another person's power or something. I don't know. Did you feel that way, Maddie? Yeah. Um, I I the thing I like about Quicksilver is I think Evan Peters is such a cool Quicksilver. Like I liked him way more than I liked the Quicksilver in Avengers. But oh, for I sure. like the actor who played uh, the who played Quicksilver in the Avengers movie, Aaron Taylor Johnson. I think is his name. I could be right, fucking right, right. that up. Um, I don't know. I like his character. Actually, like uh, there are parts of Apocalypse I really liked with him in it. Like especially towards the end when you get a little more character development, and he's not just that weird kid who listens to like you know like Pink Floyd and shit, and like right, has right, the right. weird costumes. Like I was like, this is kind of cool. I like to see him become a team member. And you know, I mean, we all know they're gonna fuck up Dark Phoenix anyway. So like, what the <laughs> fuck's the point? Like Maybe. not throw like throw a. Key- they're just i mean i don't know i'd be fine with seeing him i don't think we need some big epic event where he's using his speed like in the last two you like what you're saying like let's showcase someone else's power or just like showcase everyone's power doing their thing at the same time like as a group effort you know like i would love that slowdown stuff but match it with like i don't know like fucking cyclops doing something uh you know nightcrawler seeing yeah like pop out yeah, I just think you could probably shoot a really spectacular action scene where everyone's showcasing the you know the best of their abilities, and some you could slow down parts of it and speed other parts of it up. Like I don't know what Banffing looks like slowed down. Why don't you show me? This that is would what be Hollywood's, amazing. This is what movies are made for, man, to show us cool shit. So um, and to maybe you know, for, if people if they want a comedic uh some something comedic there, they could show somebody just about to start doing like a like something smells face. Yeah. Because you know the 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 Banff smells. Yeah. I mean, cool. I you know I don't know I like I like the you know I like the second class a lot. I think uh, you know with the addition of Nightcrawler, I like the kid who plays Cyclops. Uh, I think you know I'm, I'm game. You know I, I like that there's a new director that gives me high hopes that there's going to be right. a new direction. I always think uh, after you know X Men Two, I was just kind of done with Brian Singer touching this property i didn't think he really got the x-men that i grew up reading i think he did do some cool stuff to it 
you know, but at the same time, I just thought the X-Men films got a little too preachy at times. And it's like, man, just fucking shoot an action scene, man. Like make me feel like I'm reading a fucking comic book. Right. And I know a lot of people hate apocalypse, but I thought it was more fun just because of the fact that it was, it got, it was a little more comic booky. Some stuff was kind of hokey in it and I kind of enjoyed that. You know, I didn't need it to, you know, like I don't need everything to be a fucking the dark night, you know? So, right. Um, but yeah, man, I'm down. Like, whatever. Let's see what the, this guy's got to bring. I mean, if anything, the X-Men films are either going to go up or down. So, you know. Yeah, we've had some great ones and some not so great ones. Only other thing in Marvel, um, I, there probably was more, but uh, I wanted to keep it slim uh, this week. But uh, Rosario Dawson replaced on X-Men The New Mutants. I'm not sure why that happened, because it seems like she's really tight with Marvel being... <laughs> in every fucking um you know netflix series so i think it's just too i think it's just too much man like she's becoming such a face in those universes like if she plays a different character that's not that character claire temple you know yeah like what like you're just going to confuse people right 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 you know i mean i wouldn't be confused because i think an actress can play anyone she wants to or an actor and that's fine i can separate the tv universe from the movie universe but you know, if we've learned anything from Marvel and what they're doing now, it's like trying to keep these universes like either separate or getting ready to involve them in a big way or something. But right. I get it. I mean, I know people were kind of upset by the new casting, but I like uh, Alicia Braga or however you say her name. Right. Uh, I, I don't, I don't I know. I think she's good. I loved her. I loved her in Predators. Uh, anything else I've ever seen her in, she's a great actress. So I think she's a good choice. But I know some people are like, it's not Rosario. And I'm, I mean, she's built up a good character in that Marvel universe. So I'm sure people are super, were, were super excited to see her in a big budget movie or something, you know? It might be the case of Rosario is probably a bit too uh, expensive now. <laughs> they might uh, yeah, have I mean, gotten I mean, a cheaper she- actress, really. I mean, that could totally be it, too. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't like when people were like all the backlash. I felt like I was reading like she's like, no, blah, blah, blah. Worst actress. Blah. I was like, whoa, guys, let's calm fuck down a little bit. You know, it's like, <laughs> come on. With, you know, like, is anyone? I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of New Mutants fans, but it's like, you know, like this movie could just end up sucking entirely, too. So, right. So, uh, I'd much rather like I think the new actress is solid. You know, I get worried more about scripts and directors and, you know, shit like that. So visual stuff mainly. So I don't know. Whatever. Who cares? Right. I want to see a like horror-esque X-Men movie. So like if they can even halfway do that, I'll be excited. That would be cool. Yeah, I'm excited for that as well. Uh, moving on to DC news. Uh, Wonder Woman is now the most successful DC movie in the U.S., but uh, that's the caveat. I think still Batman vs Superman, at least right now, has made more money as far as worldwide box office. But as for in the U.S., Wonder Woman was made more money than that movie. Yeah, well, rightfully so. It's a ten times better film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and that goes to show you. And I'm looking at the news now. It's crossed. It's crossed 700 million worldwide after just one month. It's dude. It is. One woman is doing really, really good, man. I, I mean, like I said, it deserves to do well. I deserve to, like, we deserve a great sequel. We deserve a great trilogy of Wonder Woman films, man. You know? Right. So, 
I mean, it's the most a, honestly, I'm not, I'm not, woman superhero of all time. I don't even yeah, know who I'm number not, two would be. Dude, I don't. Yeah, I don't even know. Uh, yeah, I just. It's it's very much deserved. I'm glad it happened. I'm glad that this means we're gonna get a ton more female characters or female, you know, like just movies with female characters because there's a great uh, so many comics out there that are untouched or even novels with female heroes in them that weren't made just because oh we can't make money off this and that's right. not true and if anything wonder woman proved that right so. yeah i don't know why i mean it's just like maybe old school hollywood sexism or something but i mean, I mean a, lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times when they do this it's like i mean that movie lucy and um god what else i mean I'm I'm not really like proving my Ghost point in the here. Shell, but there's I mean, Ghost in the Shell. Movie. Well, that movie didn't do that well, but I mean, a lot of the, a lot of anime does have a lot of female leads that do well. Yeah. All the Ghibli movies and all that, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think yeah, it's they sh they should have recognized this sooner, but it's it's cool that it's here now. Yeah, I mean, we could go through another like I mean, until this happened. I mean, if Wonder Woman did it bad, it could be another like twenty years before they decided oh, to do God. this again. You know, and I mean, that's that might the be fucking. A, well, go ahead, sorry. No, oh, I'm just saying that that might be an overestimate, but at the same time, maybe not. <laughs> that it would take right. them that long to do another female, like big budget superhero movie again. Right. Oh man! All right. Um, next thing. Um, <laughs> this is weird news. Uh, apparently there was there was this rumor i don't know what's tr how true this is but it's possible um anyway there was apparently some director that uh, has a few i forget who it was but it wasn't like a nobody but uh he pitched to the studio that to do superman red sun and have you ever read that maddie yeah uh, i just i read it er, this week okay and i was just like I don't know. Like, I've not read the comic here. It's great. I want to read it. But it's just like, why? Like, we can't even get the the Superman we have now right. So, yeah, I know, right? Hold the phone. Let's let's like make a good like Superman movie now. And then, I don't know. I just feel like it's like not it. I just, I don't know. It seems weird to try to release something like that now. You know, like yes, I would. In the current political climate, I just don't know if that's like the best option. Oh no, it's not. <laughs> I was, you know, that story intrigued me because I think Red Sun is one of the, it's it's a good one. I like the way it ends as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, you got to get the first, you got to get Man of Steel 2 right because that, even that, the first one was kind of a rock, kind of rocky. Mm -hmm. Not everybody liked it. It did make some money, but you need to, I don't know, man, reinstate the hopefulness because even with the way Superman is portrayed in Injustice, he's he's the villain, you know? And I'd like for it to go back to just being more of that hopeful character. Uh, yeah. And, and, and Man of Steel didn't really do that. I know they want to maybe put do a, like a character arc and maybe make him more hopeful in the future, but... Uh, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure you understand what I'm trying to say. It's just, let's, let's get it back. Let's make him an old school kind of like 
I like the Boy Scout aspect, you know? I yeah. I feel like Superman should be kind of similar to how Captain America is in the Marvel movies. He's not cool, but he's got those like kind of old school values that makes him cool. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, I I think we got to get like I mean basically what I would like is to see the Captain like the Chris Evans Captain America of Superman, you know. Right, yeah. Like I I need that I need that Superman before we even make him like this like whatever red sun the red sun superman is about like i just right i don't really think that like after wonder woman and stuff and being like so hopeful for like you know possible futures and just like kind of raising spirits again i felt like when i saw it i was like yeah we can do anything right right you know, right it's like do i really want to see like a bad superman or you know <laughs> <laughs> like i mean we kind of like i don't know i just don't think i need it i think it's a cool comic book concept i just don't know if i want to see it on the big screen and like so much stuff would probably be changed anyway so it doesn't even matter it's 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 cool it would be cool if they did that way down the line but that's an else world story and we don't really need that right now what are they going to do speeding bullets the movie next you know what that you know that's about right no i have no idea okay another famous dc else world story where um the (laughs) superman ship as a baby lands in Gotham and Batman's parents raise him. And, and then Kal-El, he, he, he experiences uh, his adoptive parents getting shot. Bruce Wayne's never born. And so it's a, it's a Batman story, but with Superman powers and it's a great Elseworld story but we don't need to be there in the movie in the, in the movie universe just yet. Let's get a, like a base universe going first, you know? Yeah. I mean, if anything, DC needs to focus on the characters they have currently and making them yeah, good. Exactly. So, I mean, Can hopefully you... justice league is good and it's, we're on their way up, you know, I, I feel bad for saying uh, it, but I, I, I really am excited as to how Whedon is going to affect things at large with all that. You know, it's going to be interesting because you're not really, I mean, I get, you'll be able to tell what Whedon wrote or added, yeah. but it's like, you never really know what like Snyder planned since the events right. that happened. Right, right, right. You know, like, I mean, everyone's going to assume all the bad parts in it, the parts that you're going to go, oh, really? Oh, right. it's totally Snyder. Oh, you know? right. But I mean, I'm sure some of it is. Yes. But you know, it's just like, I just, I don't know. I like, I feel like, I don't know. I think Snyder to me is like, I think he has a great visual style. It's like kind of what we were talking about in the interview is like, he just doesn't need to write shit. He doesn't need to have a lot of say on that. Yeah. He just needs to shoot a fucking movie and follow a script, you know? And I feel like his action directing and everything. It's just amazing. Yeah. I mean, he just gets that. He's like a great, like he has a good visual eye for like cool action and like, and colors and, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, the, like I know Watchmen's dark and not like the way the comics drawn, but I think the colors are there and they're very co- co- pretty vibrant for a darker right. comic book movie. But I don't know. I mean, I'm interested to see what happens just because of all of this. Because I don't know if I've ever really seen. I mean, I've seen movies where it's like a director was kicked off and then someone else took the reins, and it's usually a pretty bad situation. Like, um, like you have like a good director that gets kicked off because of creative differences, then you get like a shitty like uh action movie director someone just that can come in and like churn out the movie and get it to the theater you know right so it's going to be weird to see because joss whedon he's a good writer director 
So this is kind of weird, you know. It's it's definitely a weird scenario to be in, and you're talking about the guy that handles uh, team or ensemble casts really well. That's like his thing, and yeah. he's got the Justice League. He's got an ensemble, and he's only coming in at the last like little bits of production. But it, I don't know, man. I think it's going to be definitely. You know what? It really has become the movie I'm looking forward to the most just because of the drama that we're following as it's being made. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't looking forward to it that much because of how bad Batman versus Superman was. But now, especially after Wonder Woman 2, it's like it's jumped to number one for me. It really has. That's maybe I'm 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 jumping the gun on our preview set or uh what do you call it? Our um mid-year roundup episode we're gonna have eventually, but uh, yeah, that's the one I'm looking forward to most uh, for the rest of this year. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm definitely interested. I, um, but it's like I'm not interested in Superman. I'm interested or not. Like, I mean, I, you know, if Batman's in a movie, I'm gonna see it. You know, hands down, yeah. it doesn't even matter. But I'm interested in like seeing Wonder Woman again. That like has me more excited than Superman or Batman. Uh, the Flash to see. Ezra Miller's Flash, just because I do like the Grant Gustin Flash so much, and then Aquaman, man, I just I never thought I'd be a fan, but I love his look. I love this, like, just I like that he's not like a white blonde dude. You yes, know? Like, I think they so really cool. nailed that shit, man. And they have, you know, like what do you call it? like Avengers is like one dude that's not white, whereas Justice League they've yeah. already got a little more diversity. I mean, that the case can be made that. Gal Gadot is Middle Eastern too, so <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's I mean, Israeli. She's not, she's just, yeah, so I mean, she's she's not from here. Yeah, so I mean, the diversity out the yin yang on that one. So that's uh, it's it's gonna be good. I think I don't know, man. I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Yeah, I mean, I it's just I mean, it's gonna be cool to see them all together. I just you know, I mean, I don't. Yeah, well, just give it to me. I want to watch it now. I'm ready for it. <laughs> you know, like I want some tridents being thrown and shit like that. Yeah, I, I've already seen my movie of the this year that it, like I've been that I was super excited for. So that was everything Logan. else. I'm excited. For. Uh, no, no, well, I'd say it was probably that and Alien Covenant. Just because oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a fucking Alien fan. So I mean, I'm gonna watch. I don't care what you say. If the franchise is dead or whatever, I will see Alien any Alien movie or Predator film that is ever made. It's like. I'll be excited for it. So oh, I get you. It's like Batman. It's like, are we ever not going to see a Batman movie? That's ridiculous. I'm going to see all of them. Not, n- there might've been a time when we weren't, but not now. <laughs> That's <laughs> never going to happen. Yeah. Right. Um, and then the last thing in the DC news segment is, uh, I'm going to say a part of the quote from Matt Reeves, um, talking about directing the Batman. He said, um, Quote, the originals from the golden age were detective stories. I think if you can marry that with a personal, there's a chance to do something very exciting. End quote. And man, if this motherfucker pulls off the detective noir story, we're going to have some some fucking interesting shit, I think. Um, I mean, that whole quote, which is to the listeners, you should definitely track down that whole quote because it's great. Uh, It just it makes you if you were like, who the fuck's Matt Reeves? I never saw those Planet of the Apes movies. 
I saw Cloverfield. I didn't care for it because I got sick because of Shaggy Cam. I don't <laughs> care about no Swedish remake movie. I don't like vampires. Like then you've not seen anything that this guy's done because <laughs> I think all of his movies, like even like Let Me In, like I don't think I needed that remake. I didn't want it, but I definitely think he puts his own spin on it, and which I think is great because kind of what we were talking about in the interview earlier. I think the best thing to do with any kind of remake because they're going to happen is if you have the freedom to put a different spin on it is going to make it more interesting than the source material, you know, like with the thing, it like can transform into anything. It can be anyone. That's fucking great. It's not just a, everyone's a monster. Fucking cool ass concept, dude. Whenever Uh, you read a comic too, any comic, well, most comics, you're, you're, you're reading a lot of their inner monologue. mm Mm-hmm. You're, I mean, even during the fight, like you're, you know, you're, you're getting inside Batman's head. Whereas they've never really done that in movies. And his, he's, Matt Reeves has uh, had like this quote, maybe even the same quote. He said, you got to get, what does he say? Uh, Try to get inside the character or something like that. And uh, he said, it reminds him of Caesar from uh, Planet of the Apes and all that. So, I don't know. I, I think that it's the things that he's saying are fucking really good. It really gets you pumped. Oh yeah, dude. I'm <laughs> the quote is amazing. Like, cause yeah. I never thought I'd be a fan of the planet of the apes movies. Cause I never really like, like the Charleston Heston ones or like the, I never really like got into it. I was like, nah, I'll just watch like, cause my dad was like showing me this, but then I'd also get to see uh, other cooler stuff in my opinion, better effects work so right. i definitely jumped on the like more like the the horror movie route more so than like the sci-fi uh-huh. route when i was like watching a lot of stuff so like but to give me like when i saw rise i was like oh, okay this is i'm into this and then i saw dawn i was like holy fuck man reeves yeah this it was, I, it was good man i was it was good and i think war from everything i've read about war it's also gonna be fucking amazing yes and just yes, like, yes. this guy like do the batman is like he's like all this stuff is he knows who Batman is. This this guy knows what Batman it's, it's, is. He's and saying he's some gonna good make, shit, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's gonna make like what every fan has been clamoring for is a true detective Batman story. And I think because they, they've also said that it's gonna be a little smaller compared to like but like these kind of big extravaganza Batman movies, you know? Yes. So I think like, you know, picking like a cool a cool villain where you can do detective work and making it a smaller film will be will be awesome. Like, you know, I, I, I trust this dude to make a cool fucking movie, you know, especially with the budget. I mean, he can work with big budgets. So I don't know, man, that's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm sure him and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Jeff Johns is going to be on there. I'm sure Affleck will have something to say about some things. So I feel like those are three talented fucking dudes, man. Like they'll make a good Batman film. Definitely. And I definitely think it'll be set apart. It'll be, I, I hope it's totally different from, you know, Batman versus Superman and even Justice League, even if Justice League is just like, holy fuck, this movie's amazing. I don't want to I don't want to like have that same feeling going into the Batman. I wanted like a darker, broody, older Batman film, you know, him doing like nitty gritty detective work because he's got to, you know, if it even was so. like not as much, but sort of stylized as um, Sin City. I think that would be incredible. I think that it would Batman being as dark as it is could kind of lend itself to that, but maybe not as much, but I don't know. I kind of get that vibe when they talk about the detective stories 
I'm not sure why. I mean, I, I just don't know like how much noir I actually want in like the dialogue. Yeah, Cause oh, I yeah. just don't, I, I don't know like if current, like a lot of the Batman comics, I mean, I'm sure there was like, there are noir like moments in Batman, but I just, some of the current Batman that I've read, um, I just don't really feel like it's noir like that, you know, necessarily. So, I mean, style, I don't know, man. I'm just fucking dude. Just come on, Matt Reeves. Give me that Batman. I'm ready. <laughs> I know he's yeah, going to be just getting job. started, so it's going to be a while. Well, I need that movie next week. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. That's uh end of the DC news. And there's only one other kind of like weird item where they're making a fucking live action Jetsons movie for some fucking reason. Warner brothers is making it with one of the guys that um, worked for family guy named Gary Janetti um, hired. He was hired to oversee the project. Um, no further details at this time. Only thing I got to say is this is more than likely going to be fucking terrible. Uh, because this needs to be animated. Sorry, but I mean, make it updated, animated, make it a uh, Pixar type, make, get DreamWorks animation on it. Uh, something like that. Uh, you could have a commentary about fucking millennials in it or some shit. I don't know, but it, it being, it being live action just kind of puts, puts me off because they're going to just, they're going to focus so much on trying to transfer it to the to live action that they're going to lose whatever was special about that that cartoon in the first place. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in my thinking of that. They could pull it off. They could pull off any movie, but it's I don't know. It's just immediately. I'm a pretty positive person too, but immediately this was kind of set off my radar. Uh, I just like I don't know like who who the fuck cares who is there someone out there clamoring for a fucking Jetsons movie nobody wants like, this I don't know I mean I guess it's kind of cool just because it's not like a comic book movie so it'll be something different but I'm kind of with you I'm kind of afraid with like I mean I'm not a fan of family guy so if with that kind of humor I just don't think the Jetsons would work if they're even like my fear is that they're going to try to make it like this kind of raunchy thing and like put a lot of like dick jokes in there and shit. And it's going to be like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Right. You know? And it's like, I don't want to see that Jetsons. Like if they made like a, I don't know if it's like kind of like a, like a live action, like meet the Robinsons or something that could be kind of cool. Cause I think that movie was really cool and well done. Um, that could be interesting. Or if it's kind of like a, like an adventure, something, you know, where it's like, maybe they start off as a family living their everyday life, but some bigger adventure happens or something. I mean, there's a cool, there, there could be a cool movie there, but I don't, I don't need it. I'm, I mean, it's I sci-fi with gadgets and flying cars and shit like that. There's something, but it's like, Oh man. I mean, most kids don't even know what the fuck the jets. Most people don't even, most kids these days probably don't even know the, who the fucking, who the Flintstones are for one. And the Jetsons are spent off of that. So it just, I don't, I really do not get why they're doing this. Um, you know, similarly, Jindy Tartakovsky, the guy that made fucking Dex, Dexter's lab, they canceled his fucking, uh, CG uh, Pop- Popeye movie because they had to make the fucking emoji movie and that had a that had a fucking trailer and everything that kind of felt like old school Popeye mm-hmm. and 
I'm not like, I don't have any fucking toys. I don't own anything, but I kind of like the characters. I like those because those are like old as fuck. They're like black and white. They're like damn near fucking, um, what you call it? Uh, like Steamboat Willie days, you know, some of those fucking Popeye cartoons. If you, I, I urge the listener to go and check out at least um, the, I think it's called Arabian Nights episode of Popeye. I always thought that was such a great little cartoon i thought it was a great episode and it's just a lot of fun i mean it's really fucking silly but it's great it's a really it's a cool part of animation history and uh i was excited for popeye i was one of the people maybe not clamoring but i would have gone and seen the movie in the theater uh, if they made it and i was kind of pissed i was pissed that they fucking didn't make that they canceled that movie and there was there was a trailer you know it was a fucking trailer and they canceled it and and the guy that made and and Jenny Tartakovsky, he also made fucking um, Samurai Jack, right? So they, you know, good people behind that movie, canceled. Anyway, that's it. Um, that's it for the news section. Sorry, I went on a tangent, but hey, that's this podcast. That's all we do. Tangent. <laughs> thanks everybody for listening to episode seventy-eight of Superhouse Podcast. We want to thank Brian Jones once again for coming on. It's fucking awesome that is also the second installment of our ongoing special effects artists interview series and that's basically going to do it we don't have any bold statements for this week we can't pump them out every time um that's that's pretty much it and we will catch you on the flip-flop bye This is Stefan from the Superhouse Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Patreon, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and any other godforsaken social media outlet that we that we should be floating on. We are basically on all social media. <laughs> yeah, all social media. Mainly Facebook and Twitter and Patreon. Check out the links in the description. We have a lot of uh, cool goals uh, set up on our Patreon. Like if you donate a dollar you'll be able to uh, give us a topic for us to talk about. And we'll talk about for maybe an hour or more. Who knows how long it'll take. And that's pretty tight. (laughs) That's the coolest thing. (laughs) Wait, we're on the internet? That's pretty good. (laughs) And we can make money. (laughs) What? (laughs) If you donate $1,000, you get full frontal nudes. We haven't set that up, but it's a possibility. (laughs) You give us a grant, who knows what will happen. Check us out. (laughs) I'll do that. I'll do that. (laughs) You get to go on a date with one of us for (laughs) $10,000. But you pay for everything. (laughs) You get to have your way with Maddie for $20,000. I'll be good Joey for a weekend. For $30,000, we'll help you hide a body. Check out our Patreon. (laughs) Superhouse Gigolo Project 2017. (laughs) Links in the description.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 